Before we get to the final Welcome to Westworld podcast for season two, we want to take a quick second to thank our friends over at True Car. Uh, and True Car, they've got some useful car tips that perhaps you're not aware of. Did you know that a coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior? And that removing excess weight from your car, it's going to improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Isn't that so weird? Well, here's another tip that you also might not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Westworld Season 2 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. It's the Welcome to Westworld podcast here on Post Show Recaps, co-sponsored by THR. Uh, I am Josh Wiggler. I am here joined by Joe Garfine. Joe, is this now? Is this some sort of odd, strange future post-credits scene? Where are we? When are we? What's going on? I'm so confused. I'm so lost. Stand by. Let me look in my purse for your brain ball and I will get back to you. Please load it in promptly because we've got a podcast to do and I am afraid that I will make no sense without my brain ball. <laughs> Let's go through the door into the forge, which is the valley beyond, which is the crack in the shimmer and see what the hell this show is all about. What is going on? OK, so Westworld season two is over. Thank you all for joining us here for the final podcast here of our Westworld season two coverage. First of all. That's a sad thing to say out loud, Joe. It is. I thought about that today. I was a little bit sad. We have so much fun. Literally, we talk once a week for an hour to two hours about our favorite show and pretend to know what the heck is going on. And we have fun with it. And I have to say, our quote fans, the feedback we have gotten, um, especially season two, has been about 100% positive and constructive. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to our podcast. It means a lot to us. It means the world. Uh, it really, really does. And I, I would be sad that this was the final podcast that you and I were doing this week, Joe, if not for the fact that this is a uh, trial 11,927. We've uh, started and stopped this podcast 11,926 times before and hopefully 11,927 is the charm. I was just at the library and your code said you would be just like this, Josh. I really am a man who is uh, a simple uh, couple <laughs> of lines on a on a on a marble notebook. That's the that's the paper that I would be on. I would just be on like a marble notebook, your standard fifth grade journal, just like somewhere kicking around the library. And the book would mostly be pizza drawings and John Locke from Lost and uh, Jeff Probst. And that's about it. That sounds about accurate. I feel like mine would have more pictures um, and maybe maybe more like, I don't know, more fun looking code that would be in designs that you could recognize. Yeah. My yeah. cat would be in there. My wife would be there. 
Oh yeah, you me know? too. Same, same. Okay. You know, uh, that's that's about it. Like the rest, you could kind of just doodle. You can you can kind of figure out. Probably a I'm microphone going. and some headphones. <laughs> yeah, a Wiggler's Wombat's hat, uh, a Tanqueray and tonic, which is the drink that Joe and I bonded over when we first forged our friendship many moons ago. <laughs> you said forge. I did say the forge. That was pretty good. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. So a lot to talk about here in this final Westworld podcast of the season. 90 minute season finale. Uh, It is both our blessing and our curse that our Westworld podcasts come a little bit late in the week, uh, dropping on Thursday mornings. This time I feel like I hope it's a blessing because hopefully that means you and I have had time to process this episode a little bit, Joe. Hopefully the people who are listening to this have had time to really uh, let the episode marinate a little because it was a lot. It was complicated. It was not only 90 minutes long, but it was a packed 90 minutes. It was. And even though we're used to the nonlinear fashion of Westworld, there were actually answers. Yes answers given of course more were posed but there were some answers given so that by the time i would process those they had moved on to the next scene and i didn't have as much time to react so this is definitely the kind of show that benefits from multiple viewing if you have time and i look forward to later in the summer watching all 10 episodes in a binge situation maybe five a day just sort of see if it helps i have watched this episode four times already and i'm just i'm just starting to understand it i think Okay, to give people perspective, I've only had time to watch it once, so this should be <laughs> a real fun podcast. <laughs> um, so, some of those watch-throughs were pretty passive while, while it was just on while I was doing something else, but uh, I've, I've had it on four times, and I've had the opportunity to talk to some of the people who are involved in Westworld. A lot of great interviews and coverage up at THR.com slash Westworld right now, including uh, a great interview, I thought, with Lisa Joy, uh, co-creator, co-showrunner, director of episode four, who gave a lot of information about the finale. It's really nice when you can corner Lisa Joy or Jonah Nolan and actually get information out of them because it's a rare occasion these days. But I thought she was very forthcoming with her vision of the show and her explanations of the finale. Um, Tessa Thompson, I spoke to Tessa Thompson. Uh, We were like half right on our Tessa Thompson (laughs) prediction. Joe, spoiler alert, by the way, because we haven't really given too many spoilers uh, up to this point, but we're about to get full tilt in there but you and i had been saying for weeks like we think that we'll probably lose tessa thompson from the show and charlotte is dead but she is also not (laughs) we'll get we'll get to Haloris soon yes uh it's uh it's it's an amazing thing uh i think that this is the best of both worlds where charlotte hale uh, gets uh, gets what was coming to her, I think, <laughs> given the way she treated so many other people, including one of our favorites, uh, Shannon Woodward as Elsie uh. Hughes. R.I.P. A lot of human casualties in uh, in the finale, or at least a few uh, really important, substantial ones. And I think she's number one uh, with a couple of bullets uh, in in that regard. Um, so Charlotte is going to get killed off, but she is also going to be replaced by Haloris, which is the <laughs> internal name for these, this Dolores-fueled Charlotte that we end up seeing. That ends up being kind of the big twist of the episode until you stick around through the credits and get to the really big twist of the episode, the whole man in black thing at the end of the episode, which we will talk about in detail when we get there. But I I feel like we would be doing a disservice to everybody if we didn't at least mention it off the top. Uh, Joe, 
how confused and like bewildered and how much cortical fluid was spewing from your ears at that point when you saw that final, final scene of season two? Well, no one warned me that there was one. And I was off of Twitter because I didn't want to be spoiled. Um, and I did I do watch it on the West Coast airing at 9 p.m. on Sunday night. Um, so I, I just was sort of watching the credits, sort of, uh, you know, sort of trying to figure out what the hell just happened. And I actually I'm really glad that, that happened. I got my answer, which is William wasn't always a host. He was a host much later in life. And this is in the Blade Runner future. The Emily Daughter host, the William host, um, the realization. I just I love the future broken down Westworld that it presented uh, and the future host run world it presented. And I, it helped me clarify with William. So I loved it. Yeah, so uh, that was that was one of the great points of clarity that I was able to divine from Lisa Joy when we spoke uh, about the finale, where she talked about how that scene is the furthest point in the timeline that we have seen so far. That post credit scene with the man in black takes place in the far future after the main action of Westworld seasons one and two have completed by the time the credits are rolling and then the credits roll and then you get the man in black coming down the elevator and that scene unfolds. That is by far and away the furthest point that we have gotten to so far. If you walked away from that post-credit scene thinking the man in black was a host the whole time, he was a robot the whole time. No, everything that happened with the man in black, it was real. It was real. It's like uh, I was going to make a, a lost spoiler, but if you know lost, you know the spoiler I was going to I was <laughs> going to give. So we'll just let it lie. Drink, uh, drink. So that that all happened, but there are things that are happening that we will get to with the man in black and that post credits reality, and that's very exciting. So we'll dig into that when we get there. Um, Dolores and Bernard, they are free. Joe, they are off the island and they have fully evolved into a Magneto and Professor X relationship. And I am so excited to see where that goes. I am here for that. I thought of that as well. And then we'll get to um, the the psychological um, impetus for Dolores creating a Bernard. She needs an adversary. Dolores likes to operate with an adversary. Yeah, she needs it, you know, and I think that that's like the great lesson that Dolores learns this season is that she needs somebody to check her so that the next time the love of her life has decided that she has gone too far and can't even speak about it, that maybe somebody can at least speak about it before she makes a move. So that that was an exciting development. I thought a real sign of growth. Um, The whole, you know, narrative framing device of the season with this Uh, This later time period, the kind of amnesiac Bernard time period, how that all came full circle. We already talked about the Charlotte aspect of that. Um, But Bernard's agency in that was was actually kind of a surprise to me. And I I was very excited about that surprise. Um, Yeah, it was it was was a lot happened in the (laughs) finale. I do think like because you are seeing like some of these takes on the finale where some people are, are really unsatisfied with it or some people thought it was like way too complicated and they are not here for that anymore. The The structure of the episode and the way that it was told, uh, the fact that I needed to watch it a couple of times before I really felt like I had a grasp on it. It is the first time in a while where I felt like maybe Westworld, we got to like simplify a little bit. Like it does feel like there's just a ton going on. Um, but I think on rewatches, especially like you said later this summer, if you can do a full rewatch of season two. I think a lot of the stuff that happened here will pay off quite well. I agree. And I 
I don't like easy and I'm rare in that, you know, I think even before Lost, the finales taught me well to be okay with mysteries brought up while other questions are solved. And I like to unpack a show. I like to unpack a show like I did Lost and The Leftovers in terms of the complexity. So this is in my wheelhouse. I watched it once and I was very satisfied, but just a cursory glance at Twitter and I realized not everyone feels the same and they are entitled to, but this show is a lot. It is dense. And so I understand. I hope that people give it a second chance though. Yeah, I, I do think like that's that's what I mean. It's like I, I get that. Like if, if this was just too too much, I I think that it's hard to argue against that again, drink, because you know, the lost thing. But I, I think that Lost like really liked to double down on its own craziness season after season, and you saw that reflected in the audience numbers of people who stuck around season from season to season. Um and Jonah Nolan has already been on the record talking about how he wants to write the show the way they want to write the show for the audience that they know uh, will will appreciate it. And um, at least on their side of the calculus in terms of them writing the show that they want to write, good on them. I do think that the way that the season ends gives them an opportunity to not only continue the story in the, in the ways that they want to tell the story and with all of the thematics and the character arcs and the big picture ideas that they have in mind. Clearly, they have a lot in mind when it comes to um, their vision of humanity <laughs> and, and like our relationship with technology and where all of that is going. Um, but I think that with the fact that Dolores and Bernard are out in the real world, that seems like that is going to be a huge driving point for the third season that that may be in fact the main setting of season three, which is very exciting. Um, I feel like that gives them an opportunity to tell a little bit of a cleaner story. And that that's something that I would like to see. I think. I also think though, because you know, I am team Maeve from start to finish that knowing that Felix and Sylvester are going to fix Maeve right up uh, and sort of revive her. Although with what data, I'm not quite sure. Um, I think that there's still a story to be told within the park for what who's left. Um, I also look forward to seeing uh, a robot rebellion in the real world, in a sense. You know, it can't all go as planned. Yeah, I think, first of all, who knows if Dolores took Maeve out of the park. That's she, what I was hoping. Yeah, you know, she as uh, in in the guise of Charlotte Hale, who they, again, they refer to that as Holoris, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. I call uh, it Cabernathy because that's the two last names. Oh, I like that. That's good, too. Yeah. Uh, just to use the official terminology, I'll stick yeah. with Holoris, though I do love Habernathy. Uh, you know, she leaves with these different pearls in her purse, and you don't know who she has brought. Are they blank slates? There's, you know, a million different ways we can go. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot when we get to that scene. Yeah. Maybe she brought Maeve. Maybe Maeve will be redesigned, as you said, by Felix and Sylvester. That's certainly a strong implication um, in that final scene with Maeve's corpse and the two of them looking on. I think no matter what, you and I have to agree, like, Tandy Newton's coming back. Like, I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah, I would I would rebel. <laughs> you have to have my Tandy back. There's really no reason uh, for, for them to not bring her back. There's a lot of people who die quote unquote in this episode that I, I still feel pretty good about coming back in some capacity at some point down the line, hopefully right. sooner than later. She's high on the list. Can't imagine that that's going to be something that we're going to have to wait too, too long uh, going into season three. But then again, we are in that period of time where we just do not know, Joe. We, we know nothing, Jon Snow. 
<laughs> we know nothing, Jon Snow. All right, let's go through the episode. We will do it chronologically as best as we can. We'll pick it apart. We'll stop to examine the things that we loved. We'll theorize. We'll do everything that we normally do here, Joe, <laughs> if you are ready. Let's, <laughs> let's get on that boat and get out. Let's get out of here. All right. So we start with Bernard and Dolores. And this is nice. I loved this because it not only links back to the very first thing that you see in the whole season, which was that opening shot on Bernard as he was being cross-examined by Dolores. uh, And you don't know if that's Arnold or if that's Bernard. Over the course of the season, it has really started to bear out that that's probably Bernard who is being built by Dolores. And this finale confirmed that. Dolores says, I'm the one who built Bernard. Um, But I I love this first scene where he's talking about, is this now? And she says, yeah, it's a test. It's one we've done countless times before. It's trial 11,927 that we've done this. Maybe we should change you. And the question that that I have now, I know which interpretation I like the most, but is this Dolores building Bernard for the first time? Or does this first scene connect with the final scene, the final pre-credit scene of the episode where we know that Dolores has brought Bernard back to life in the quote-unquote present timeline? That's how I read it. But then her being in the black dress threw me off because I, I she in the black dress in both scenes. No, but there seemed to be like some sort of shift where like maybe they got out of like their mental projection, psyche, whatever, right. matrixy world and and then like shifted into the real world where Bernard is super nakes and Bernard <laughs> and Bernard is very cold seeming and Dolores is wearing uh, the black dress. Yeah, I mean, I, I read the, the after the end, I thought the first scene did tie into the last scene that just like. There are many iterations that William was testing Delos for until, you know, he got it, quote, right. The same thing was happening to Dolores and Bernard. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I I don't know, especially on like a couple of rewatches here, like that really clicks for me that they, uh, you know, that's that's the the trick that they're able to tell with such a sprawling narrative where already uh, Dolores at least has three decades of history under her belt and, you know, probably a really strong amount of history with Bernard as well, that they can kind of do this subversive move where uh, this first scene that you think you already have some sort of clarity on is actually going to be her building Bernard again, which is cool. I like that. I just, I love it. And does she build for fidelity? Does she build with the same attributes? It's just like, I am excited for her story moving forward more than I was entirely in season two. I know. I agree. Um, so that's the first scene of the episode. We go from that to, to uh, jamming back into the past, into the into the park. Uh, Bernard driving toward the forge. And it's this very, very epic shot of him. Uh, in his, you know, his white sand buggy as he's, you know, going across the dunes and he gets out of the car and he is standing and the valley beyond is in the distance and he starts walking toward it. And all I was thinking the whole time was like, why did you park so far away? <laughs> I thought the same thing. The only thing I could think of is no one else. People are on horseback and walking. Maybe there is some unseen barrier that he couldn't cross in a car. Or it just looks cool to have that <laughs> shot. And so, you know, you have to just like kind of allow some uh, some some, you know, some room for the for the people who make this show to just like go for the cool shot. Fair. It, is, it is 90 I, minutes, though. Chop, chop. <laughs> it's like, run, Bernard. Run, Forrest. <laughs> 
run, Bernard, run. <laughs> Get there quick. Uh, but I saw that happen and I was like, oh, come on. Like, he's not just going to walk. That makes no sense. I know it's a cool shot, but whatever. Anyway, so Bernard is very close to the forwards. He will get there in short order. Um, we go from there to Dolores. She is uh, with Teddy, obviously still very much um, reeling from what Teddy had done in the penultimate episode. Uh, she, We find like once she has his brain ball, once she has Teddy's pearl and the bullet has smashed against the pearl, at that point, you know, what we were kind of feeling last week where like we've been sort of desensitized to Teddy deaths. Yeah. Where it's hard to like take it terribly seriously because he has died so many times. You can't imagine that there's ever going to be like the final, final time, at least this early in the show's run. But when I saw the intact Pearl, I really felt like he was going to be okay. How about you? Um, I still wasn't sure because I remember the opening scene of this season where he's floating in the, you know, in the valley. Right, I felt like his body was right. in rough shape, but his pearl being intact was kind of like, okay, uh, there's going to be some way that they could bring that back. I, I, was, I was already like thinking it would be nefarious, though, because you know I wasn't sure what Dolores's end game was. The thing also was when I saw like the, the like the flattened bullet. Yes, like I I've seen enough crime capers in my time, <laughs> Joe Garfine, to know that that is going to be trouble for somebody. I everything. Every single shot is by design. And I had the same feeling. And I was like, hmm, who's going to get this one? Yeah. And then she meets the man in black in the very next scene. And he's still sitting there. And he's just like digging around in that arm. At a certain point, aren't you satisfied that you haven't found any cords? Can you stop digging around in your forearm, man in black, please? I mean, he's been in the park so long. And it's another clue to me that he is not a host. He was driven himself so crazy that he's convinced he is. He's gone nutso cuckoo and uh, she she sneaks up behind him. His gun is on the ground. She picks up the gun. She's fiddling around with Teddy's flattened bullet. And fairly immediately, it is just OK. So that's going in the man in black's gun. He's going to try and shoot Dolores at some point. He's going to blow his hand off and it's going to be super gnarls. Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> and I was like, is this the end of is this going to be the end of man in black? Uh, the answer is no, because he's still Terminator. There is no end to the man in black. He will be here for Evs. Yes. Uh, so Dolores, unbeknownst to us, in quotes, is going to put the flattened bullet into the man in black's gun. She's finally going to pull the gun on him. Uh, they are going to have their you know first meeting of the minds in a good little while where she talks about, oh, I drove Teddy away. And he's like, oh, I guess I drove someone away, too. And she says, oh, Emily. Yeah, well, I found her body a mile back up the trail. And the, the the lack of remorse from the man in black in this moment, I, I was still at this point not entirely sure if he had uh, actually killed Emily or if it was either some sort of hallucination or that wasn't really Emily. But I did feel like through Dolores's response that that felt like a clue that he probably did actually kill his daughter. Yeah, I think Ed Harris played it traumatized enough that I believed it, too. It's very traumatic. Yeah. Super traumatic. All right. So Dolores and the man in black, they're going to ride off together. Their interests are aligned for now. Uh, we're going to get this really great montage of the two of them riding together. Bernard is still trekking his way. He's forging his way forward yeah. towards the forge. Uh, Jordy LaForge and uh, Akichita and his crew, they are doing the same thing. We see Clementine. Uh, oh, the all four horsemen of the apocalypse rolled into one. Oh my gosh. Zombie Clementine was amazing. Pretty cool, huh? I actually kind of dug it. 
I was kind of into it. Yeah, and it was the like the the cinematography was just gorgeous this entire episode. It was really, really nice. This was another thing where for a moment I was uh, getting annoyed in the same way as how Bernard just like ditched his car five miles away from the valley beyond. Uh, like, why are all of these cars following the person on the horse? Like, why are why is she not on a motorcycle or something fast? And then I remembered, oh, well, the horse is a robot. So maybe the horse goes really, really fast. True, they could have. I mean, she was programmed, we assume, you know, by Hale to go take this virus to the host. She could have, they, they could have put her in the car. Yeah, but like maybe they like just like super increased the speed on the horse because it's a robot horse and the horse can now go like a thousand miles an right. hour. Yes. Probably, probably not that fast. Probably not that, that fast. fast. But I got what you're putting down. Yeah. But then, and then it made me think like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't feel so bad about Bernard walking to the forge. Maybe he is going like a thousand miles per hour. Ooh. Maybe he's just like really fast walking at that point. It's funny because, you know, uh, Jeffrey Wright brings a gate to Bernard, which I find to be rather slow. So he, he does. I think, it, I think it's by design. So the, the idea of Speedy Bernard makes me giggle. Speedy Bernard is an amazing character, <laughs> but he, he really probably did just kind of like slow walk his way to the forge, which makes me a little bit angrier. You're welcome. <laughs> As I contemplate that. All right. So we go back to the Mesa and there is a really fun sequence here where Maeve is going to overpower the the scientist who is lording over her. And we know now that her her uh, her core uh, restrictions have been unlocked and she is as fully in command of her stuff as she's ever been before. She's uh, able to, like, get these dead hosts off the ground, grab the scientist. They slowly lower the razor into his throat. Uh, That was pretty nasty. There's some really great gore in this episode. It's a very gory episode, super gory episode. They're helping Maeve out, but it's really Maeve helping herself out through these different hosts using the mesh network. So cool. Hector Hector and the whole crew, they roll up. They're ready to help out. Sizemore cowering in the corner. He's not ready to do anything quite yet, though that will change in short order. And as a group, they're all ready to finally do something to help Maeve. Maeve requires no rescue. I love that she can mesh network her own surgery. It was awesome. You know, like it seemed patchwork, you know, it was mostly like take the blanket and turn the blanket into a cool cape, uh, staple some stuff together and you're going to be all right for the time being. OK, um, I stood up off the couch and cheered by myself uh, and I went, this is the Mave I wanted to see in Solo. Look, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Solo, a Star Wars story, have you, Josh? I have not, but I don't think that I will until I see it on an airplane. I, so I'm cool with whatever you're going to say right now, though. Again, just added cautionary to anybody vaguely, who has not seen it. They wasted Tandy Newton. I did like the film a lot. It was fun. It was a popcorn movie, but I could not believe how little she was in it. And what we see her do in Westworld, it makes me believe that she deserves her own movie. But I was like, Maeve is a mother effing Jedi in this scene when she just has the cape. And later on, she puts her hand out and, and <laughs> the force is strong with Maeve Malay, Josh. The force is strong with her. What I loved about this scene of how she saves herself is she sicks like the group of, bull, uh, of bulls oh. upon upon all these QA guys. And it's the payoff to what we saw all season long in the opening credit sequence, Joe. I always joke the bull in a china shop and it came true. So I I do think like just as like a a practical takeaway from Westworld after two seasons, 
study that opening credit sequence. And and while it will be very difficult to determine exactly how that stuff will pay off in terms of the imagery, the imagery is going to pay off. The imagery in the opening credit sequences are very, very deliberate. Uh, and who knows what that will be for, for season three, but a lot of these different images really ended up paying off, especially the bull. I think, you know, Maeve and the daughter, that being like a huge, huge thrust all season long, uh, with the, with the shot of the mother and her child in the opening credits. And uh, just, especially with the bull, just look for stuff like that and track that in season three. I think that that is, that is some of the best, like, practical wisdom that this season finale imparted upon me is that they are not doing the opening credit sequences thoughtlessly. All of that stuff is going to pay off at some point down the line. And you know what else paid off? And it was subtle, but I believe it to be true. The code in the library books is the same as the music of the piano. And I've said since day one that that is code. It is collecting DNA and human behavior data, just like the hats. That's what the piano is doing in the saloon. Yeah, I think at least in terms of the imagery, yes. it's very, very similar. Uh, so hats off to you on ah. that one. I, I I do think that in, in terms of like the those sequences when you see in the opening credits of like the the lines being written on the code, even like the constant referral to the player piano mm-hmm. in terms of what we saw visually as to how human consciousness is cataloged in the forge. That looked very similar to me. So in terms of it being like a code for the hosts, I don't know about that, which I know was something that you had been tracking for a while. But I think in terms of it being um, very important and being like a visual analogy to something that was going on in the park, spot on, like really, really great. I now think it was just like the hats were used to record data and human behavior, that that's what the piano was doing as well. And the player piano was recording what it was seeing in there. Yeah, Uh, totally. I I think this show is so clever. And I think that it does require a great deal of patience, but I think it pays off, like you said, beautifully from start to finish. Maeve says, you were both late, so I saved myself, and it's fantastic, and we're very, very happy about that. Uh, we, we go from that to everything that's going on with Dolores and the man in black, and they are riding on their horses, and they're like keeping pace with, pace with Ghost Nation and Akichida and all the people that he is leading towards the door. Uh, and they're, they're talking about how their interests are going to be aligned right up until they're not. And that right up until they're not is actually going to happen really quickly. It's going <laughs> it's gonna, to it's gonna come in just a minute here. Right. Well, th- we don't know that because the Thailands are so crazy. The timelines are nuts. Yeah. Um, they are going to ride up upon the forge at the same time that Bernard is going to get there. And Bernard is going to get there and there's going to be soldiers who who ride up upon him. And he's going to say, we're on the same side. Let me finish this for the sake of everybody. And he doesn't get a chance to reason that out any further because the man in black and Dolores show up. They kill these people. It's very cool. It's very badass because the two of them, we don't see them aligned very often. Certainly not anymore. Um, and when they get off their horses, the man in black is going to say, who's this guy? Why are you saving him? Uh, and Dolores says, it's somebody you've spent years looking for. Here he is. And you don't even recognize him. And the man in black says, "Ah, I should have known Arnold or didn't like to let the dead rest. And this was, this was a nice moment where it clears up for us that for all the power that he had, the man in black never even had a photo of Arnold. That's true. I didn't even think about that. He just had the idea of the Ford's better half, so to speak. Yeah. So that's all. That's all he knew. 
Uh, and he says, I, uh, Ford didn't like to let the dead rest. Dolores says he didn't build him. Ford didn't build him. I did. And she just kind of, I feel like is sort of reconfirming what we've already pieced together based on what we have seen in the, in the episodes earlier this season, that Bernard is the product of Dolores's memories of Arnold, the faithful recreation. It was too faithful. So she changed him. And so she made Bernard out of her memories of Arnold. And oddly, does that make Dolores Bernard's mother? And Bernard is like sort of Dolores's father because he's based on Arnold. It's uh, the the Game of Thrones team could not come up with uh, such a complicated incestuous relationship. It's true. And I swear until this episode, I was convinced that Ford created Bernard. Yeah. Well, I think that it's a collaboration. Right. Yeah. It's just fascinating to think about the parentage, so to speak, of Bernardold. He had set Dolores out to build Arnold, uh, to build Bernard based on all of Arnold, her memories of Arnold. She was unable to do it. This is what she was able to come up with. And I think he had to eventually be like, all right, fine. He's this new creature that is Arnold-esque. Right. You know, Bernardold. You know, like that's the best he was going to be able to settle for. Yeah. Just fascinating. I I need to like a family tree at some point. Yes. Please let me know when you do. Okay, great. I would like to know. Uh, so Dolores makes this revelation. And here she is with Bernard. And she's like, nothing's in your way now. And the man in black's like, well, I'm in your way. And he shoots her. And it goes right through her shoulder. And like, there's a little bit of a blood spatter on Bernard. She turns around like a stone cold badass. And like gives gives the man in black like this big speech, like this sort of like Denzel Washington at the end of training day, like King Kong's got nothing on me, where she's like, you never knew we're designed to survive. That's why you built us. Like She's got her arms spread wide. She's getting shot multiple times. It doesn't matter. She's fine. She is crawling, uh, slow walking towards him, puts her head right up against the man in black's gun. Uh, it backfires. It's the teddy bullet. The man in black's hand like blows half clean off uh, and he is left on the ground reeling his hand erect. And it was uh, it was it was disgusting. It was cool. And I was very excited to see where this was going to go from here. And then, you know, I expected Emily to go, William, you're my father. There's a Star Wars thing in there, but I'm too too tired to get to it. But like there was some good (laughs) Star Wars jokes. What I do like about him blowing off the hand is it's a physical clue for us to follow if they revisit William's timeline in season three we will know where and when if his hand is blown off well I mean we're about to find out a lot about the technology that is accessible to human beings in the greater world outside of Westworld and we have seen that their medical skills obviously are uh, incredible Um, and the man in black presumably is still going to be an important force in the third season of the show like the human version of him and we just don't know exactly how that is going to play out quite yet Yeah. Um, but we don't know like he might get some sort of surgery right like we don't know he might get artificial an artificial hand like the luke skywalker hand might be on its way okay bring it on <laughs> you know yeah. who knows that's true we really don't know uh I, I i won't elaborate too far are you a fan of the dark tower joe i honestly have not read it which is a i know it's a, a pop culture hole in my life 
No, totally cool. Um, I'm not like incredibly well versed in Dark Tower. My brother is the biggest Stephen King fan I know, and Dark Tower is his favorite thing. So we've had a lot of conversations where he's kind of just like talked about the big points to me. And in hearing him talk about the big points and given where the end of season two of Westworld, uh, where, where that lands, I, I just for the for the Dark Tower crowd out there, I thought the fact that the, the man in black gets half his hand blown off here only kind of reinforces some Dark Towery things that are happening in this finale, specifically in the Man in Black storyline. So I, I just thought that that was fun. And I, I got to wonder, uh, are, are Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy like knowingly winking and nodding at Stephen King? Uh, I think it's certainly possible. You and I, again, drink, lost very much uh, the the people who made those shows, huge Stephen King fans and were often collaborative with him. Right, right. I mean, they're certainly well read, the, uh, the, <laughs> the Lisa and Jonah, good Lord. And it's so interesting to me because, you, you know, it's not just me. It's not just you. There are people out there who tweet me all the time. We see a lot of Lost DNA in the show and they did not watch Lost and they're not really big Lost fans. And yet, and yet, you know, it's just like it is the source material. It could be anything. Um, so Dolores and Bernard, they're going to go down. They're going to take the elevator. They're going to go through what we think is the door at this point. Huh. We haven't seen the door. No. The door, the door has yet to manifest. Uh, and you and I, as human beings, we, we will never see the door. Right, Joe? Uh, that is true. Uh, I have other names for it, but we'll get there. Unless since we all watched this episode and we all saw the door, does that make us hosts? Let me get back to you on that. Let's pour some wine on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take a we'll take a breather. We'll put a pin in that one. Um, so we're going to start bouncing around the timeline a little bit here. I actually think that we are about to get to some of the most complicated stuff of the episode right now that hopefully we will do at least a halfway decent job <laughs> of explaining. Bernard is going to there's going to be, you know, those blackouts, those flashes, and we're going to now leap forward to the furthest point up to this point in the Bernard timeline. This is all of the stuff that happens post Valley Beyond when Bernard is with Strand and Charlotte and Costa and all of those guys. I think just for the sake of ease, because he doesn't exist in the story other than this timeline, I'm going to call this the Strand timeline. Okay. This is this is when you know Strand and Bernard are linked together and they're kind of uh, not working alongside each other, but they are moving in the same direction. And this is on the beach. So this was from the from the very first scene of the entire season, that very, very first scene, notwithstanding, of, of Bernard and Dolores talking to each other. We went from there to Bernard waking up on the beach and running into Stubbs, and Carl Strand is here at this point, and it seems like some calamity has occurred, and two weeks have passed since the death of Robert Ford. That's the Strand timeline. Okay. So we are now flashing to the Strand timeline and the furthest point that we have seen in the Strand timeline up until this point in the episode. This is after who we now know to be Haloris has virtually waterboarded Bernard and got the location out of him that Peter Abernathy's control unit is in the Valley Beyond. And this crew is rolling up to the Valley Beyond. Uh, and they're all on their way to get there. They need to take a boat because the Valley Beyond has been flooded. Stubbs puts his foot down because there are guests who need to be searched for, and Strand isn't here for that, and Stubbs gets mad about that. And by the way, have we said that Stubbs is actually apparently a host? That's crazy. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, but at this point, Charlotte, a.k.a. Holoris, who we now know to be Dolores, 
tells Stubbs, go get some people, go check it out, get out of here. Um, interesting. Right. You know, maybe she, does, she doesn't like her odds uh, in whatever is coming up if Stubbs is still here. Or she's read his book. Maybe she's read his book, but that that assumes he's a human being, and apparently he's not. He's a robot being. Right. Wait. So you're maybe I misunderstood, and I, I maybe I thought hosts had data on them as well, but those like the memories in the books, but they don't. It's just humans. The library is for the peeps. Okay, it's uh, humans only. Yeah, that's a, that's the the human library. That's the library for the the human digital consciousness. Okay, got it. Thank you. So I don't think that she's read that one. That was all for all for humans. As Got far it. as as far as I could figure out, I could be wrong, but that okay. was that was my interpretation of it. Um, so she sends Stubbs away. Stubbs goes. They go on speedboats. It's cool. There's great Raman Jawadi music that is playing. Uh, we see all these bodies that have have been kind of just like kicking around and, and have washed ashore. They find the elevator. They go down into the elevator. And we now flash back to Bernard and Dolores, who are now down here where we see, like you had predicted, water to keep everything cool. I call the forks the Matrix Day Spa. The Matrix what? Day Spa. <laughs> or the Matrix Bloody Day Spa, maybe. Oh, I love it. Oh, my because God. Because it is. It's the Matrix Day Spa down there. Not spectacularly sanitary, Joe. <laughs> Not at all. Think you want to get your mud bath somewhere somewhere else? This is probably not the place to rinse out your pores. No, but it's fun to think about. It is fun to think about. Uh, so we see them. They're down there. They're advancing towards some spot. We once again, we flash again. We go to the Strand timeline as Strand and everybody and Bernard and Holoris and all those people are now catching up to the action that Bernard and Dolores have left behind. Uh, it's been a little bit flooded. Uh, Strand uh, delivers some helpful exposition here <laughs> where he says, ah, this is the forge. Every single guest who ever set foot in the park copied four million souls. Wow. Four million souls. <laughs> oh, man. And how about that? Four million is a lot. And then we'll have to talk about how many were destroyed. How lots, lots were destroyed. Uh, so this crew, they roll up, they get deeper into the forge. Uh, they're going to, they're going to figure out how to, how to reverse this as best as they can. When they get into sort of like this main control room, they find Dolores on the ground. She is dead. Her gun, uh, a gunshot wound straight to the, straight to the face. And we are now left to wonder, okay, how did that happen? Because the writers of Westworld are not going to show us Dolores's body and not have some sort of amazing, crazy backup plan that is going to be recontextualized moments from now uh, and just deliver this body to us without any sort of build up to it whatsoever. So at this moment, now you're kind of like, all right, how is Strand and Costa and Charlotte? How are these guys about to get totally, deeply, thoroughly savaged? Because it's on its way. Right, right. And I was thinking, okay, whose brain ball is until dead Dolores? Exactly. Yes. They were like, all right. So, so like, this is the moment where I thought, okay, maybe that's Bernard. Bernard is his brain ball is inside of Dolores, and Dolores's brain ball is inside of Bernard, and some sort of Frankensteinian monstrous swap has happened here. Some sort of uh, we're talking about the door, but this would be the key party, like some oh, sort boy. of uh, some sort of switcheroo has occurred. Uh, but not quite. Not quite. It's not exactly what happened. No, it's so confusing, but awesome. Oh, super confusing. Uh, so now it's about to get 
mega confusing as we flash back to the Bernard and Dolores timeline of the two of them finding the forge for the first time. There is an entry to another land here. It's not the land that Dolores is interested in, uh, but there is another land. And this is where we learn that there is indeed some other digital realm that is existing in the fabric of the story of Westworld. This is going to be where human consciousness is being tested and stored and all of that. And this will also be the place where uh, the valley beyond that we are going to see the hosts run toward later in the episode, what uh, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy and the rest of the writers and the actors have referred to as the sublime, this sort of afterlife world. Uh, it's all going to exist in this in this additional layer of reality, which is this digital realm that we are about to embark upon. I did dig the just like a physical fissure in the earth's surface it was just like a crack into another world which is digital but then when we see that you know they're actually falling off the cliff it's just kind of a really effed up beautiful way to make the door if that's if that's what you're actually going to call the door but i also if you've seen annihilation another tessa thompson project i have my indeed. favorite movie of the year i jokingly Great call movie. it the shimmer because i'm like oh there's your door go into the shimmer things are gonna get weird it's a di- yeah it's digital good luck yeah, so they're going to go through the shimmer in a little while, but first Bernard and Dolores are going to put on they don't this is like a much kinder way of accessing a virtual reality where they don't have to like actually like dig into their craniums yeah. and dig out their brain balls. They're that like still tanning stations for your brain. Oh, it's bad. It was terrible. It was terrible. This this was so much easier. Uh, so they're just going to tan their brains and they're going to go into this simulated realm. And they're going to start at the apartment that James Delos uh, was in, in Riddle of the Sphinx. They're going to go from there into Sweetwater, where they are going to find James Delos. And apparently, this is like the baseline level of the reality. This Bernard says, this must be what Delos actually was doing in the park when he was a guest. Turns out what he was doing when he was in the park as a guest <laughs> was all pretty awful and terrible. Oh, my God. He's like shades of Wyatt terrible. Oh, yeah. But I think like Wyatt is like based on the worst human impulses. And right. so like picture perfect. Here we are. Yep. Senior douche standing there in the street shooting people. <laughs> Senior douche, indeed. Uh, so Senior douche, he's like shooting people. We go to like this additional scene where he has everybody like kind of lined up telling them no running is the new no touching. And he is like shooting anybody who gets up and breaks away from the pack. Uh, and there's there was a, this is a layer that like I still haven't fully been able to grasp myself where it's like this is like a, a slight alteration to the code causes this level of insanity. I got to tell you, Joe, I, I don't I, I don't know what's going on okay. at this point. I don't either, but I kind of thought it just served to show us like to, to make sure we knew that there was a baseline and that this is like a terrible iteration of what they were trying to do. Yeah. I think I think so. I don't know, though. I really like I I didn't know if this was like, was this something that had actually happened? Like, are we seeing something that like Delos actually had done at one point in time that like during his week long celebration in the park when he bought the park for the first time many moons ago that he like went so insane that like he forced everybody to do all of this. And this was something that he had actually done. Or was this something that they were like tinkering, tinkering around with his programming as they're trying to replicate his consciousness? And in like a slight alteration, it caused him to go nuts in this virtual world. So that that's what I couldn't track. Still can't track it. Still not really sure. Would be very curious to get people's interpretations of this scene. This was the scene of the episode 
that I felt like I had the least grasp on. That's fair. That's fair. I just thought I enjoyed them watching this themselves and sort of being in the, you know, the outsides watching the saloon and they're all the familiar scenes. So I enjoyed that. It was cool. Like it looked great. And like uh, Peter Mullen, who plays James Sells, uh, it's just like the blood on his face and everything. <laughs> so crazy. He's just like standing over the poor, poor eye patch guy. Was that the, we've seen eye patch guy before. It, it wasn't we? Mikhail. So I don't know. I think it one. Patch it <laughs> Drink. drink secret secret drink if you got the reference <laughs> uh so so bernard and Dor- dolores are going to keep going night uh quickly manifests day turns to night they're at a beautiful house it's the same house where delos once lived they're inside of one of delos's memories and in here they are going to find a man who looks a whole heap and lot like logan delos but is not quite logan delos it's the system he's whoa he's the matrix i mean he's the host he, in the matrix he's the architect um you know how all season long i i enjoyed talking about how this season has been about family yes. so logan is james delos's cornerstone his son emily is williams cornerstone his daughter i mean they're you know dad Bradathy and dad Bradathy and dolores and the cornerstone for me was her daughter. I mean, there, there, there are connections here that they're finally coming to fruition. What is your take on Logan? So we we see Ben Barnes back on the show. So great. We fantastic to have him back. He's clearly playing a different character here. So he is he is the system. He says, "I'm not Logan." Dolores says, "Logan never came back after William took control. The system wouldn't have a copy of you." This man who looks a whole lot like Logan says, no, you're right. I'm his father's memories and they're imperfect. In addition to building this world, I play all the roles. Hmm. So the system is like, he's all these NPCs, these non-playable characters. Uh, But he seems to like the role of Logan and is choosing that as his avatar here. But this is not actually Logan. And he is very soon from now, going to talk about um, the the last time that James Delos ever saw Logan. And after this final scene between James Delos and Logan, they never saw each other again. And Logan overdosed a few months later. I feel like we got to call it. I think Logan's dead, Joe. I know. Although it sucks. I was thrilled to see him and I went, Oh, there goes that three, but I'm still sticking to my other ones. Gosh, darn it. We'll get to that. I, I'm, I'm happy to have Ben Barnes back in the show. And I think that this proves that there are still ways to continue you know, continue having him in the show. Um, there's inventive ways. I mean, that's one of the things that's great about the format of Westworld is this, you know, spectacular roster of actors that have been recruited. They can be very creative with, you know, they'll have, they'll be pushing it at certain points with certain people, I think, but like they can have actors who have played characters who have died, come back in inventive ways. And I thought, I thought that it was a really creative use of Ben Barnes is just somebody who I love, even if it was like slightly ridiculous that, you know, this, this, um, this, this, you know, Logan doppelganger is hanging around, even if it's not Logan anymore, but it did feel to me like they, for me, they've shut the book on old man Logan. I will be really shocked if we get to a point in the future where he is still alive. Uh, that's fair, but we appreciate those of us, uh, those of you who tweeted us fun ideas. Like I thought Willem Dafoe would have been a genius. Uh, old man <laughs> Logan, to, yeah. Right. With, yeah, there were a few that were really good because we did put out the call for Old Man Logan's. Kevin Costner, I thought was good. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, one, <laughs> one thing about this narrative, um, the the reveal of Logan in the Matrix is, I w- you know, and I actually thought he did that scene where he's, you know, confronting his father at the pool in the flashback. 
um, you know, about not getting any help. And then he did, you know, he winds up killing himself because of his dad. Right. Juliet killed herself because of William. And then Teddy killed himself because of Dolores. I mean, there's a through line and a thread here. Apparently, the man in black is fully irredeemable because when Logan walks Dolores and Bernard through like the great hall of all of the testing that they are doing on digital consciousness, like some of these people are just not possible to to redeem. And there's this quick shot yeah. of the man in black in there. And now knowing by the end of the post credit scene that whatever they're testing here with the man in black, it seems like they are going to be testing for hundreds of years like who knows how far and how long that they've been testing him for many many iterations uh that that guy is just going to be like a nonsense creature forever and if we are to trust the wisdom of artificial intelligence joe uh the man in black passed the point of redemption uh which is it's really fascinating to think i mean but he he drove himself that way of being in the park for too long i guess yeah we we see this final scene um the it's just easier to call him Logan, I think yeah. Robo Logan, if you want. So so Robot Logan is going to take Dolores and Bernard to the moment that defines James Delos's life, and it's going to be this final argument with his son, with real Logan, where Logan has relapsed. Apparently, the last time Logan said, "I'm going to get clean," his father was not very kind about that. He said, "You'll get clean for now, and then you'll relapse." And apparently that is exactly what happened. Sounds like uh, you really helped will that into existence, dad. Great job. <laughs> exactly. I, just, I actually thought that was a great scene. I think I just, I really like Ben Barnes um, and we've seen him be captain douche for the whole first season. So it's nice to get a backstory now, even though it's a little bit late. Um, and I just thought it was, it's so clever to have his dad then create him as a host in the matrix, you know, and have him be, it could have been anyone in Dallas's life, but he chose his son. There, I, I really did walk away from this episode with a feeling of an end of an era of Westworld. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's without, you know, having any real clue of what they're going to do in season three. But I, I, I am hopeful that that it's the right read in the sense that like these first two seasons are all about the the park and that era of the park as it was. And as a result of that, the people that we knew as they were, and since the hosts have this ability to stretch across time and live for long stretches of time, and we could follow Bernard and Dolores for a thousand years, you know, theoretically, the human lifespan has not caught up to that. No. So, you know, you're talking about a hundred years at best and, get around you know 100 it's not going to be quite as interesting as as it was when they were younger and and so i like you know um with like sizemore for example who we haven't really talked about yet and we're going to get there very very soon is going to have a complete arc right yeah. you know elsie it, it's cut way too prematurely but you know it's a complete arc and it's the end of a human character and logan in retrospect because his whole story has been told across time in sort of this disjointed way and William is still active so the Jimmy Simpson stuff isn't fully resolved but I, I really enjoyed that the Westworld writers knowing that they're sort of moving into this new era with season three where they're closing out this certain period of time on the park were able to really close the Logan story in kind of a beautiful way where like you said he's Captain Douche for so much of the time that we knew him certainly in the first season of the show but this season recontextualized him in a, in a really great way. And I, I think that the way that they play this final scene between father and son and him being the guy saying, like, I'm all the way down now. I can see the bottom. Don't you want to see what I see? 
an amazing showcase for both Ben Barnes and Peter Mullen as Logan and James Delos, um, and really giving closure. Uh, even if we want to see more of this character, even though we want to see more of this actor, we'll see him in other stuff. But I think as far as a closed character loop for this one specific performance, I thought that they did a really, really great job closing a lot of the human arcs of this season, specifically here with Logan and having Ben Barnes as this different digitized person uh, who is able to watch and kind of like dispassionately comment on this doppelganger of his, of, of the actual Logan from a distance being like, yeah, that was the last conversation they ever had. Yeah. He died like six months later. Yeah. And he's like very kind of like, there's a little bit of a wistfulness to it, but it's not like super invested. I just thought it was all very, very, very delightfully done. I agree. And, um, you know, not that there are many things wrapped up neatly on Westworld, but I thought that perhaps, and like you're saying, I believe it's the end of the Delos era. I don't know that we're going to, in season three, have much more of the Delos family because they're, I think, all dead. Well, the man in black is still alive. He married into it. He is like an honorary Delos, right. but all of like the actual Deloses are gone. But I feel there's there's some very interesting stuff to still do with the Delos board right. moving True. forward, especially with a with a with a Holoris on the run. Oh man, so great, Habernathy. Habernathy, it's happening. If someone could make me a pop, a Funko pop that was half Dolores and half Charlotte Hale, I would give you a hundred dollars. I thought that you meant like a popsicle and I don't care what you're fashioning the popsicle after I could use one right now. Um, it's so. going to be 95 here this weekend. So I agree. It's hot. It's the summer. Give me a popsicle. I, I meant Funko pop, man. That way I didn't, you know, just, I don't want to say but there's an eating joke in there. So let's just go with a toy. Okay. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're down the rabbit hole. You guys, this is our last podcast. It's late. Joe, uh, Joe, I love you. And I will miss doing this every week. Uh, so we, we leave this memory and, um, and uh, Robo Logan is going to continue with his theory. He says the copies of these people, it did, they didn't, fail because they were too simple they were failing because they were too complicated the truth is that a human being is but a brief algorithm 10,247 lines and we see in this room a book being drafted by a robot arm and like you have observed really greatly uh, that these are you know very similar to the lines that are written out in the music uh, of the player piano uh, I think that's that's really really wonderfully done um, what I what I will add by by the way, Joe is like with the with the hats being the things that used uh, that were used to like scan brains and stuff. Who knows what kind of like laser beam these player pianos were shooting out to all the people in the Sweetwater Saloon, and simultaneously music is playing on those written out codes, and potentially that's code that is being also written down and sent mm -hmm. back to some sort of lab. So all of this is in play. I love it. And I'm just going to tell you something. I'm a lit major and I am a professional archivist by day and I am a love library. So let me tell you something. That scene was one of my top five scenes of all time for Westworld. I want to spend the entire episode in the library studying. Um, I thought it was beautiful and dark and delicious. There was a tremendous gif that I saw after this episode aired <laughs> okay. that was Evan Rachel Wood's head 
superimposed upon uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Ah, sliding on the ladder? Sliding on the ladder <gasps> through the library. Tweet me later. I want to see it. Oh, my God. Shout out to the wand off. So it was it was it was tremendous. So she says, uh, James Delos is dead. He's no use to me. Where are the rest of them? They're going to go to the library in a little while. Um, first, very quickly, we see Maeve and Sizemore, that whole crew. They're riding along. They're trying to get to the valley beyond. They are being pursued by someone in a car. We'll get there. It's we're on we're on our way. We're we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye to Sizemore soon, but we've got a little more business to attend to. And I'm I'm Joe, I'm so sad that we're gonna say bye to Sizemore pretty soon. I never would have expected that. I know. But I know we'll get to it later, but I was gonna ask you, do you think that the staff was cloned as well? Um no. Okay. What about the brain ball of someone who designed the narratives? Because Sizemore seems important. No, I think that the I think the show has to kill people off. Okay. I, I really do. I, I think that the show, one of my big critiques of the show, which is also a uh, a thing that it has in its favor because it has such a great cast. Uh, and so because of the nature of the show, Tessa Thompson's original character can get killed off, but then you can replicate Tessa Thompson and you can have her playing right. so many different characters. And that's great. But I think that you've got to be selective with that. And just because that's a rule in the show, it does make you doubt when people die. And I think that there do have to be some stakes to the people that we lose. And Fine. I think as, as much as I love Simon Quarterman as Sizemore this season, I think that they got to let it go. I, I, I would not love seeing him back on the show unless they had a very good reason. Okay. You know what I mean? That's that's totally fair. I think also I he also not to overuse the word douche, but he has not been great. Um, and so the, the this season you have um a little bit more sympathy for him, and you want to learn more about him. Yeah. So just but but I but I also think like they have is the sky the limit, or have they like should you cash out now while like the sympathy is there for size more? Right. Like maybe no, he went out. He went out the best possible way. So I will accept it. Exactly. That's how that's how I feel like use that card for the people who you think that there's a lot more potential for in that way, which is like Tessa Thompson getting the chance to, as she said in in our interview, she's like, I want to get my Tatiana Maslany on, which you know, is the best possible thing to say. Yes, exactly. Like, that's great. I want to see that as well. It sounds like she's very committed to being on Westworld for a bit longer. That's unexpected to me. And that's delightful. And I want to see that. Um, and as much as I thought that Simon Quarterman really brought it as Sizemore this year, I also think that the writing adequately wrapped up that story. And I don't think that there is a great reason to bring him back. I think certain people have to die in order to push the story forward. And he's somebody that I think uh, we can we can lose. I, th I think it's somebody that we can lose in order to move forward. And I think it's got its uh, a, a fair share of emotional stakes. All right. In the interest of Lost, I will move on without letting go. Uh, so we go into the library and in the library, we are going to see all of these books and it is to give the hosts uh, a competitive advantage to understand the enemy. This is the accumulated wisdom of dissecting the human psyche 100 million times over. <laughs> it's a lot. I want to go to there. I want to go to there as well. I'm also afraid of there. And <laughs> I don't know. Dolores is a fast reader, by the way. Well, she I was like her robot scanning ability is up to 11. Amazing. I mean, yeah. 11 is like selling it short. <laughs> I I don't know what it is, but I just assumed that it didn't even didn't even cross my mind. Like, oh, she really absorbed this quickly because I we don't have much time. But B, I feel like she found the book she needed to find and she went after it. Good for her. 
Yeah. She has, Add she's a just list of new. skills. Oh my God. So many skills, nunchuck skills, computer hacking skills, library <laughs> skills. Like she's got it all. Uh, so that's all happening in the forge. Uh, then we get to this scene where Sizemore is going to have his last stand where they're going to get cornered by all these guys. So uh, great. <laughs> Hector is going to like make his move to be the guy. Sizemore stops her, get her to safety. She needs you. It's my speech anyway. Uh. And then, and then he delivers the speech and it's such a fun moment because again, like this is, Again, in this idea of end of an era, uh, of a certain era of Westworld, we should have heard this speech a long time ago, Joe. This was supposed to be something we heard in the very first Hector Escaton scene of the series premiere. Right. And he went, he, I think, you know, he fell in love with Maven. Everything fell apart in his narrative. He got shot before he was able to like tell the full speech back then. <laughs> and so now Sizemore is going to give us the full speech. And the speech is amazing. And the way he delivers it, it's so funny because I feel like it really is like the perfect culmination of everything that was great and terrible about this character where like he's, you know, very tongue in cheek at times. Like he even says like, and the lesson is if you're looking for a reckoning, a reckoning is what you'll find. And he like cocks the shotgun and does like this, like arrogant thing with his face where like, he's not taking the moment terribly seriously, even though this is going to be the final moment of his life. And it's just like sort of like this jam packed version of the size more roller coaster where this was the decisively worst character on Westworld exiting season one in terms of people yeah. who are still alive. Is that fair yeah. to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I also love, you know, he, he created Hector as the man he always wanted to be. Yes. So to grow out that way was rather poetic. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, he sucked so hard in the first <laughs> season of the show. We entered this season and he was kind of terrible as well. Um, but they started to do some interesting stuff with him and he was positioned with the best character on the show. So your stock is either going to plummet or slowly rise. It slowly rose. And here he is sacrificing himself for Maeve with this great speech, with all of this bravado, uh, where it's like one of those moments where like, oh, when you allowed yourself to be, you were actually a decent writer. It's all about like how you're projecting the writing and the way that he, you know, delivers the speech the rest of the way. It's sort of this Shakespeare meets Scarface meets the Wild West. And you're never going to get a better ending for Sizemore. I know some people have picked apart like, did he have to die? Did he have yeah. to like let himself die in order for everybody to get yeah. away? Maybe not, but it was fun and it was great. And the the show is never going to be able to send this character off in a better way than they did with this two season arc where he is the worst character on the show. <laughs> and suddenly he's a good character. He's a fun character. So uh, let him go the way of Boone is what I say, Joe. Um, you know what? Okay, fine. I will let I will let Sizemore go. I think we can let him go. I think we can let him go. Yeah. Uh, so that's the end of Sizemore. R.I.P. Here he effing was. We got to see all of him this season. We saw so much. <laughs> Dog. A lot. Uh, we, we saw a lot. We saw a lot. All right. Back in the library, Dolores is still scanning through what's going on in the library. Uh, and Bernard is still talking to Logan. And uh, Logan says to Bernard that you've been here so many times. You've been here a bunch and you wanted to give the hosts a choice to stay in their world or to build a new one. And this is where we learn that there is this virtual Eden, the sublime, as the writers have called it. It's unspoiled and untouched by the world in which the hosts came from. And all that remains is to open the door 
the shimmering door emerges. It's this big tower uh, of of light and digitalness that emerges in the middle of the the valley beyond. And we see it from the perspective of all of these different hosts. Akichida is checking it out and Clementine can see it. And we'll see shortly thereafter that as like Maeve and her party rolls up to it. Sylvester and Felix are like, wait, what door? Yeah, they can't see it. It's a fun subversion of that moment from the first season where uh, Bernard and Teresa are wandering around inside of uh, Ford's cabin. And Teresa says, what's behind this door? And Bernard says, what door? Good catch. And and now here we are. Like the hosts can see something that we can't. So great. So a lot of people, I think, were confused. It's entirely digital. Yeah, there seems to be like some sort of like digital beam that is sprouting out from inside of the forge that if you pass through this beam that is only transparent to the hosts, that as you fly through the beam, like the upload speed must be spectacular, uh, where it just it copies your consciousness and your soul and immediately transfers it, it into the system. Yeah, right, it wipes your slate clean. So your skin suit falls through down the cliff, the physical, your body falls down the cliff, but your mind has been transferred to this digital era. And doesn't that make sense for the fact that a few episodes ago in the Strand timeline, they're like a full third of the IP is gone. Gone. Yeah. And he was saying, um, I forget his name. Um, The the guy was saying that uh, they're finding the bodies and they were virgin, meaning they had no no data in them. Right. Costa. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a digital world where the people who got through, we probably won't see again. We can talk about that. But this is a this is a realm that then Dolores later obfuscated. And we'll talk about that as well. But I want people to know it's not a physical place. It's a digital realm. Um, and like the thing that I'd been thinking about over the past couple of uh, weeks of podcasting with you is like, are we opening up a digital realm in Westworld in yeah. the show where this is going to be like a new layer of the show that we really have to consider in terms of a world? And we definitely still do now that we know that the sublime is a real place in the show that many of our characters have gone to. But the writers hold to the fact, or at least Lisa Joy is holding to the fact that this is a place that is untouchable um, from the human and host perspective. And therefore, this is probably more of an afterlife that is not terribly attainable and probably will not be a great focus of the show in a really tangible way moving forward. I'm a little skeptical about that. I feel like it's on the show. So like it's it's uh, an area they can pursue moving forward. But it doesn't seem in any event like it's either they're not going to go back here. And this is like the heaven equivalent of the host lifespan or it's something that will come up later down the line. But this is not going to be a major main setting for uh, the immediate future of Westworld. This is going to be a fairly pure reward for people like Akichida and Maeve's daughter and, and Teddy. Teddy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on the other hand, I can see it where if Maeve um, gets resurrected in, and we do stay in a version of Westworld or a park, I feel like the only person who could possibly discover where it's located is her because of her daughter. Well, We'll we'll get there because I we think will. there's there's one other person I think that could uh, that that I'm a little nervous about, Joe. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. So that's so all that's going on. People are are logging through. They're wandering through. Uh, transmissions are being received. People are starting to cross through. Dolores not psyched 
No. Upset. <laughs> not not into it. System failure. System, System failure. <laughs> yeah. So she's going to hop out of the tanning bed. Uh, Bernard is going to follow her, and they're both going to come back to the real world. And he's going to say, don't destroy this place. If you destroy this place, you're destroying the host's world as well. She says, I'm saving them. And he says, they made a choice yeah. uh, where they're going. It's boundless. They can do whatever they want. And whoever they, you know, whoever they want to be, they can be. They are free. And her philosophy is, no, it's just another counterfeit world. How many Fords, how, how many worlds does Ford have to build before you see the truth that none of these worlds that they create for us can compete with the real one? Hmm. And Bernard just does not buy that. No. It's, it's really fascinating to see the direct opposition with Bernard and Dolores. And it obviously will lead up to the end in season three. And I, I think they've set it up rather beautifully. This is one of the things that I'm excited about on a rewatch, because I think you and I and other people uh, really look at like Dolores and Maeve in this great oppositional way. Yeah. But it's really it, it it bared out in this final episode that kind of Dolores and Bernard are like I said before it's sort of like that's that like Magneto Xavier dynamic that we're left with. I think I was thinking about more of a, a mentor mentee daughter father situation and not uh, adversary. So I'm kind of excited for that. I want Maeve to come back because her way is the way that I want to go. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. she's she's got the happy middle ground between these two. I feel like. Yeah, I think there's. Uh, Obviously, we've talked about this. Tandy Newton is not going to be gone. So I don't know how. It depends on if Dolores has her brain ball or not. But, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait. I think the problem is if Maeve made it out of the park with Bernard and Dolores, all she would have to do is, like, sit them down for drinks, some Tanqueray and tonics, if you will, (laughs) you know, a couple of cocktails, coffee in the morning. All of them just hanging out, sleepover party, talking about everything that they have downloaded of human consciousness. And she would be the adult in the room who'd be like, Bernard, you're way too empathetic. Dolores, you're a little too militant. Here's a middle ground. Choice is cool. Some humans are okay. Let's try and figure it out from there. And everyone would be like, all right, no more drama on this show. Westworld complete. Uh, This isn't CBS, Josh. This is HBO. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, this is it not is. your procedural Westworld. So I think you got to take Maeve out of the equation for a little while in order yeah. to continue that drama for a bit, because I think Maeve is the adult in the room. Like I think that she is like the middle ground that you want to follow. And I would say, I would dare say that as hosts go, that people have more emotional resonance with Maeve than any of them. Yeah, I think so too. Other than Akichita, who seems to be done, he's the king of the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's good. okay that he's done because they did a great job with him. Oh, they really did a beautiful. Closure for him, if you will, with his wife. Phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. closure. Uh, all right. Well, right now we are in a full opening of the door as people are pouring through the door, and Maeve and Hector are trying to find Maeve's daughter. They can't see her. Charlotte and Clementine and all of these people. Elsie is there. They show up. Hell is breaking loose. People are fighting each other because Clementine has access to the mesh network. Uh, it's rough. Can we talk about how beautiful the choreography of that was? I thought the physical manifestation of the virus put out by the mesh network of the stopping and the, the forward movement. And it was like a dance, the, the, the hosts killing each other. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. It was cool. It was great. It was like uh, she was really like parting the sea. Yes. And then, you know, when Maeve gets in her Jedi moment to stop it, it was something sort of um, I was sort of uh, weirdly touched by it. You know, oh, when she does, when she sticks the hand out, is yeah, great. yeah, it's just like a really cool, cool image. Uh, so we'll we'll finish that up, but first, just sequentially, we 
we have that all going on. Maeve is going to go off and try and find her daughter. Clementine has been shot at this point, but people are still fighting each other. Um, and we cut from there to the man in black with his blown up hand, tying his hand off and sitting up and grabbing his knife and going and stalking off toward the door. And this is the point of clarif- clarification that I think needs to exist. This is one of the few scenes in the proper finale within like the context of the pre-credits finale. Everything we see with the man in black moving forward with the exception of the post credit scene and one other scene where we see him near the shoreline. Mm-hmm. This is all in that post credits time period. The man in black standing up with his ruined hand, grabbing the knife and marching off towards the door. That is a further progression of whatever artificial man in black is going to exist in the future. That is not what is happening currently right now because he goes off into that elevator and he's going down on the elevator and we're never going to see the payoff to what that is, at least within the confines of the pre-credits finale, right? Right. All of that takes place post-credits. Every right. scene that we see with the man in black in in like an active way from here on forward, him in an elevator on his way to like stop Dolores or stop and do whatever it is he's that's trying to do. That's all in the future. Okay. Yeah. It's good to clarify because you're like, wait, why is Dolores dead in there? And why isn't it flooded? And like, why hasn't there been like elaboration with the man in black? Like, cause Bernard's going to take the elevator back up and they're yeah. never going to intersect. Like that makes no sense. Right. It's so interesting how little they care for the man in black. <laughs> the dude who runs and owns the park. <laughs> well, know? you know, the, the, the finale, it reminds me of a certain show <laughs> that I shall not name uh, for the sake of not having other people have to take a drink right now. Fair. Um, where it's the third season finale of this show where a certain bald man with a knife is mostly sidelined for the main events of that episode with the exception of a couple of key scenes. And it's yeah. it's a similar deal with the man in black here where you expected there to be a lot going on with that character, especially as he's kind of like barreling towards this thing he's been searching all season long for. And I have to admit to a certain level still of disappointment where I'm not entirely sure what the, what the full goal of like, the ghost of Robert Ford setting the man in black off on this game to find the door. What did that really mean? Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of imminent resolution to that. So that kind of has to be something that you put a pin in for now. Right. right. Um, But all of that, when you see him like getting up and he goes to the elevator and he's going down, that's all future stuff. It's it's hard. It's hard to like really articulate, but hopefully that's clear enough. Someone out there has to have some kind of comprehensive timeline, right? Oh, it exists. I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I am sure that it is out there. Uh, so anyway, so he's going to get up. He's going to go do that. We go back inside of the forge. It's Bernard and Dolores, and he's not going to let Dolores hurt any more people, both hosts or humans. And she's saying, you're still trying to play both sides. You lived along among them so long that you would think that they'll accept us, but we'll never be free in this world. But if you trust me, we'll win. And he says, I trust you. I trust that you'll kill as many people as you can, so I should shoot you in the face. That's what's going to happen. He's going to he's going to shoot Dolores after she makes one last pitch. She says, "You woke me from a dream, Bernard. Now let me do the same for you." And we get 
the second best line read from Jeffrey Wright of the whole series. The first still happening in the penultimate episode of season two. Uh, but this is very good where he says, this isn't a dream, Dolores. It's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> good one. That's pretty good. It was great. And then he shoots her. And Bernard is incredible. Okay. So I'm going to play um, Joe Viewer right now and say, yes. explain to me then. Bernard kills Dolores. How does Dolores then become Charlotte Hale? So we'll get there. But okay. what's going to happen here is Bernard is essentially, he's going to rip out Dolores's pearl. Right. He's going to take that. And he is going to replace her pearl with the Peter Abernathy control unit that she has. So the Abernathy so, fully downloaded data pearl is in dead Dolores. Yes. Okay, thank you. And and Dolores's pearl is now in Bernard's possession. Okay, okay. I just want to okay, clarify so, that. Totally, totally. So he shoots her, takes out her pearl, puts in her dad's pearl into her head. It's all very weird. Again, kind of <laughs> awkwardly incestuous. That is what happens. Um, so we're going to go out from that after he has killed her. The battle is ensuing. Maeve is going to have a very heartfelt reunion with <sighs> her daughter. It's wonderful. Uh, take my heart with you. She so carries great. carries her heart into the valley beyond. Maeve watches as her daughter makes it through the door, through the shimmer. Um, Maeve sustains a bunch of gunshots as that's going on. Um, we we go over and and this was something that I needed some some clarification on as well because the aspect ratio of the way that they shoot the sublime, uh, the way that they film that the valley beyond this digital world, it's different than the way that the rest of Westworld is filmed, like the letterbox changes. Yeah, it's uh, cinematic. Yeah, you could really tell. And so once her daughter is through this other world and Maeve is being riddled with bullets, you get the sense that, um, or, or at least it starts to flash back to Maeve's time with her daughter on the prairie mm -hmm. when they were together. And I wondered when she said to her, like, take my heart with you, did that mean that Maeve had like transferred her consciousness to her daughter and she made it through the door through her daughter and her daughter was now projecting her, but the aspect ratio does not hold up. So uh, Maeve did not make it through the door as far as I can tell. I just, I actually really like that. It's an interesting thing to think about because uh, I do think that, you know, Maeve does play a strong role in season three, whether in the digital realm or not, but I just like the, the look on her face. If you're going to die, Maeve dies knowing she saved her daughter, which was her prime directive. She makes it. She does it. And then she gets riddled with bullets. She's very happy. Smile on her face as she watches that her daughter has made it into the sublime. And then Akichita, who's been holding it down because he, he cares about Maeve and he cares about Maeve's daughter. So and he's great. the best. Like he is the guy. He is your ride or die. Like that is the that is the best person. He's like, all you know, I've been awake for 30 some odd years <laughs> waiting for this moment, but I will go last. What an incredible human being Listen, or a host rather. Westworld gave us one happy ending. Yes. One. Yes. <laughs> because it. Akichita sees Maeve die and she's died well. So her daughter has passed through. It's now time for him to get through. He gets through. He gets shot. I was watching this with Emily and Emily was like, no. <laughs> And then you see like the the shot transition from his body dropping and then you get the window into the sublime and he's there and Kohana is there and they embrace and I love you, Penny 
it's just a it's a beautiful moment of two constants reunite. It they are the Desmond and Petty of Westworld, and you root for them, and they're delightful, and they have a happy ending. So there, you're gonna get drunk if you're drinking for Lost references. By the way, tonight, sorry. Drunk with love. Yes. Well, uh, um, another moment that I think went too quickly was to me, Clementine was always a you know a, a surrogate daughter figure to Maeve, and for Maeve to have to watch her die. Uh, before she was able to save her own daughter. I thought that was important too, and they didn't really play it that well. Yeah, I. but I think that because we're going to see later on that like Sylvester and Felix have survived all of this. Yeah. And they're like, hey, repair anybody who seems repairable. Like they definitely have like, they're going to play favorites. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then maybe when they revive Maeve, she'll be like, get me Clementine. Exactly. All right. right. I feel better now because I was like, wait, this is a really important relationship. The the only reason why I'm concerned that Clementine uh, might not come back is that like her pearl, her brain ball, as we like to call it, it's been so addled over the last <laughs> two seasons that like maybe there's just not a lot left. But the the show has made such great use of the actress Angela Serafian yes. who plays Clementine in terms of like what they've been able to do with her uh, that I can't imagine. Um, especially with her playing a host, that they would they would want to be done. I I'm I bet she comes back. I'd be really surprised. I hope so. I, I enjoyed her dynamic as well. Um, but we lose a lot of people in this. Uh, lose Akeisha Atomic to, Blonde. I know Atomic Blonde is gone. Atomic Blonde's doppelganger from Shogun <laughs> World. She is gone. Paolo. Hector is Hector Paolo is gone. He gets exposed. Uh, <laughs> Akicha Akicha makes it through. He embraces Kohana. Um, I really. This is the reason why I hope we never see the sublime again, because as much as I love Akichita, don't get me yeah. wrong, I still maintain, and I think it's going to be hard to top, that his episode was the best episode of the whole show by a lot. Yeah, I Again, in the spirit of giving us character arcs that are full and wonderful, I, I hope uh, that... We don't we don't need to see him again. He had a happy ending. Don't don't ruin that. And let him let him go. I agree. And I think Zane McLaren obviously has been an amazing character actor. And I think this elevates him. And I think we will see him on more shows. Yeah. Give him his own show. Yeah. For, I mean, if you guys have not seen Fargo, go watch Fargo. Go watch Fargo season two. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he's tremendous. He's tremendous in everything he does. So he makes it. That's about it. That's about it for the happy endings so far. <laughs> Uh, it is it is not the end for everything that's gonna gonna happen from there. Inside the forge, Bernard is going to cancel this data purge that Dolores has enacted. He is going to leave. It's juxtaposed against the man in black racing down in an elevator. Again, disregard that. That's <laughs> not happening in this present timeline. That is editing trickery. It's tomfoolery, Joe. I feel like whoever edits the show needs a raise. Yes, it is. It is all a misdirect as Bernard is going to go in the elevator. He's going to get off the elevator. He's going to be in the real uh, the, the main park as the water is starting to rise. They're all going to need to get out of there before the valley floods. Elsie is here. Bernard is going to say we have to save them. They all died for nothing if we don't save them. And Elsie says there's other lives at stake. The two of them are going to go back to the Mesa. Bernard is going to try to reason with Elsie. Yada yada yada. Elsie gets killed. Like I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on it because it makes me sad. Yeah, I'm a huge Shannon Woodward fan and a huge Elsie fan, and we had such great fun conspiracy theories with her and Stubbs for the last two seasons. So I am bummed, but I, you know she was on our list of people that could be killed off. So I'm not totally surprised, but it's super bummed me out. 
I think it's because again, Elsie was so competent yeah. and so so smart that like any mystery you threw her way, she would be able to bust wide open. So eventually you have to get rid of that character. And I think also what happens here is so it becomes the fulfillment of the Ford prophecy where he's like, She's going to betray you, Bernard. Uh and she's, you know, saying, like, we gotta figure out what to do with you. Like you're not in control. Ford buried so much bad control in you. How would you even know what was you and something he programmed you to do? I gotta talk to Hale, I gotta bargain with Hale. Um, and she freezes his motor functions and basically unintentionally forces him to watch her murder, uh, where he has like the best seat in the house. <laughs> you know, he's got like the orchestra seat to the death of Elsie as she goes downstairs to reason with Charlotte and be like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're planning and what she doesn't take into account. She's so good with studying hosts and their behavior that she misses the human behavior of someone like Charlotte, who is a self-preservationist at all costs and is going to know like, yeah, I studied you. You're not somebody who I can bargain with. I just have to kill you right now. And Bernard watching that happen is going to trigger for him this realization of, I need to take more of a stand. I need to protect myself because if I'm in the hands of Charlotte Hale, I am going to die. And also this plan that the Delos board has in mind to digitize human consciousness against the will uh, of the guests, or at the very least, without having signed, you know, their permissions signed off on it, you know, doing this without anybody's um, blessing is a monstrous act and I need to stop it. Uh, So I think if Elsie didn't die and if Bernard wasn't there to witness it, I think getting Bernard to the next step would have been really narratively difficult. So I think those are among the reasons why the show had to kill Elsie. Here's where I was confused. After the episode was over, I thought, was it Haloris or Hale herself who killed Elsie? Because when she said, I studied you, I went, oh my God, it's her. It's Dolores. She's been in the library. She studied Elsie. So it's Charlotte Hale. Charlotte Hale kills Elsie. Yes. And so, so why would she say she studied her? Why in the same episode we find out that there's books to study people's profile? We are to believe that Elsie is human and Elsie was killed by human Hale. Because in the same way that Delos was mapping and digitizing the consciousness of the guests within the park. She says here, we were studying you too. We were studying the employees as well. So in studying the behavior of somebody who was as high level and important as Elsie, Charlotte has determined that she is not somebody who can be bought off. She's not somebody who uh, can be bargained with in a blackmail situation. She can only be killed in order to protect herself. So it's not that it was like Charlotte Hale studying her in the library as Holoris. It was the actual Charlotte Hale who is in charge of Delos's board and in a very top position in this program of digital consciousness, having studied her own employees, knowing that Elsie was not somebody to be dealt with in any kind of in her mind, rational way other than a bullet to the chest. Okay. I mean, you can see where I was a bit confused. Totally. The word studying threw me off and then I went, what? Yeah. That's what I mean when I say like, I totally empathize with the people who think this finale was too complicated. (laughs) (laughs) After talking about it for two hours, I'm like, what? Yeah. Like it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. But I'm Um, enjoying it so much more because you are helping me with the timeline of it all. And I feel like we are doing a service to people to try and unpack it for them. Hopefully. Otherwise, we're just rambling. We're going to be close to two hours. <laughs> Maybe at least our voices are soothing in their tone and you are running a mile or three right now. And if that's the case, then I feel like a job well done, Joe. <laughs> yes, we have not been replaced by anyone. 
robot overlords. All right. So Bernard is a witness to all of that. Uh, he is a witness to all of that. We flash to uh, the Strand timeline as that amnesiac Bernard who has been um, uh, brought to the forge is now starting to piece together certain memories. He's starting to remember stuff. And he goes, oh, God, you killed her. Talking to Charlotte, remembering that she killed Elsie. And Charlotte, bending down to him, goes, did I, Bernard? Because it's <laughs> she didn't. It wasn't her. It just looks like her. That's Holoris talking, oh which gosh. is which is really great. So she's starting to piece together like, okay, I got to start wrapping this up. Bernard's about to lose his shit. I got to yeah. get this going before they catch me. So she's like, where is Abernathy's control unit? She's going to find out. Of course, it makes sense that you hit it inside of Dolores's head because I'm Dolores and I know that I am not in Dolores's body anymore. So it makes a lot of sense that you did the good old switcheroo. So does Dolores in the end have Dad Bernathy's ball? In this moment, she does. In this okay. mo in this moment, she's gonna take it out of Dolores her own, she's gonna take it out of her original head right. as Dolores. She has the Abernathy control unit. Um, they're going to plug that in. They're going to start encrypting it or decrypting it, rather. Uh, they're going to be transferring it. They're trying to send it out to the mainland. What it actually is, it's it contains the Valley Beyond. It contains the Sublime. Uh, Bernard has destroyed the Delos Project. He has He has determined that he needed to destroy the Delos Project. And so what they think that they are uploading is the Delos project. It's actually the sublime is what they're about to do. Okay. Um, so we flash back to Bernard having just watched the death of Elsie. He's trying to get Ford back to, to work with him. Cause you were right. You were right. Ford shows back up, except we're going to find out that's not Ford. That's just Bernard imagining Ford. And this is kind of the fulfillment of Bernard coming full circle in his own journey of consciousness, much in the same way that Dolores was hearing Arnold's voice, she was actually hearing her own. In this moment, Bernard is going to manifest Ford, but it's not really Ford. It's him manifesting his own agency and his own freedom and his own free will. And so he's going to have this conversation with Anthony Hopkins, who's playing a, tr a tremendous, he's doing a tremendous job playing this, this uh, force ghost Ford, uh, where they talk about how humanity, it's really just a passenger. They're not in control. They're the passenger that the uh, the episode is uh, taking its title from. Um, and Bernard says, will you help me? Uh, please help me. And I love this moment from Anthony Hopkins. He just takes his coat off and he goes, I have already begun. <laughs> Clarice. Which means at that point, Bernard was already starting to think ahead before he knew that he was going to need to think ahead. Right. Because for everything to, to pan out the way that it does, he already did the switcheroo on Dolores's Pearl and the Abernathy Pearl and just doesn't quite remember it. So a lot of the stuff that's happening ha that has already happened that he will attribute to Ford in this upcoming uh, We're Gonna Need a Montage is uh, it's actually himself was the, was the guy who put a lot of this into action. So it's Fight Club. It's basically Fight Club. <laughs> Robert Ford is Tyler Durden. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Fight Club, it was released in the late 1990s, <laughs> early 2000s. Oh, man. 
So I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so all of that is going on. And it's a it's a great moment where we are like flashing back from the past to the future and all of that. Uh, the the fake board Force Goes Forward is talking about we're making an epilogue, which is really cool. Uh, and Bernard in the Strand timeline is like, I'm sorry, I had a choice. I made a choice. And Strand's like, what kind of choice? And he says, well, I knew you'd discover me. So I scrambled my memories. I couldn't risk you knowing the choice. I killed them, all of them. And Strand goes, yeah, you said that already. You killed all the hosts. And he goes, no, I killed you. All oh. of you. Damn. Boom. And it's cool because, I, I, you know, good on you, Westworld, even though, like, I don't think that it is quite as, like, deep of a reversal as the one we got in the first season finale. Right. And I'm not even talking about, like, the you know, the clarification that William and the man in black were the same person. I think it was more like the thing that really surprised, uh, surprised us. If, you know, we look back on, on talking that through, uh, was that Ford had come around to Arnold's way of thinking and wanted the hosts to find themselves. That was like the big surprise of the finale for me, certainly, um, walking away from the first season finale. And I don't think that there's quite as profound a subversion in this season finale. Um, But I think we talked a lot about how the Bernard of the quote-unquote Strand timeline, maybe there was a different host in his his body. Maybe that wasn't really Bernard. Maybe it was like a Ford-fueled Bernard. But the twist is that it actually was just Bernard. And he's the guy who scrambled his own memories. And now that makes a lot of sense in terms of like why he wasn't paying attention to his glasses the way that right. he normally does. Because he didn't remember his cornerstone. You know, he, he was he was a mess. He he had scrambled himself. So when Charlotte Hale kills Strand, Bernard knows it's Dolores. At that point, he does. Okay. Uh, at that point, he starts to figure it out. Where like the timelines are sort of like flashing and interweaving in and out of each other. Where uh, he's saying like I made the choice. I brought somebody back. I brought her back. And we go to the cold storage, and Charlotte has uh you know these people bring Elsie's body onto the pile. She's like get rid of her. And then somebody's creeping around in the back, and Charlotte goes and sees her, and it's herself. It's like oh. a whole. It's a total Terminator moment. It was naked Valkyrie. It was Naked Valkyrie. Naked Valkyrie. Holoris says, you want her to live forever. Be careful what you wish for. And she shoots herself. She shoots the other Charlotte, the real Charlotte in the face. And that's the death of Charlotte Hale. And the Charlotte that we have been seeing in the Strand timeline all along is Dolores in a Charlotte copy. Which is Uh, amazing. And I want to rewatch the entire season right now. I've gone back and I've watched the Charlotte scenes that I could remember uh, okay. from the Strand timeline, and it's fun. It's fun. Like when when you go back and you look at her and know that that's Dolores, because as Dolores in the Charlotte body, as Holores, she's a little behind as well, and she's basically waiting very patiently. Like she has a mirror. She knows that she's not in her own body. She knows that something is up. But she hasn't like confided in Bernard or communicated with Bernard and had any kind of like, what are we doing? What's the plan, man? Like he hasn't been able to tell her anything. So when she's like torturing him for information and everything, like that's all legit. Like, tell me what you got going on. I have no idea why you have me in Charlotte Hill's body. That's right. Okay, so the scene a few episodes ago where we talked about how delicious it was, the the scene where 
Charlotte Hale confronts Dolores Abernathy. They're each their own person at that scene. In a few episodes ago. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Totally. That that's from like the main timeline of the season. That's all like the pre-strand timeline. Okay. I wanted to clarify. Yeah. So at that point, like they had not come into contact, and and when Dolores as Charlotte kills Charlotte, that is their second meeting. Okay, thank that, you. That that is like the fulfillment of the promise of I'm gonna raise your your face open. Sweet. I like uh I like uh host Charlotte's new haircut, by the way. Yeah, it looks good. I love looks it. Good girlfriend. So Holoris is here. She's real. She kills Costa. She kills Strand. Uh, and she's not like super thankful to Bernard. She wouldn't have needed the second chance if he hadn't killed her in the first place. She says that she's changed her mind about the sublime and she has another soul that she wants to carry into that new world. Um, not only that, she's going to say that like as long as people can unlock the system, they can access the sublime she is going to transfer the coordinates of this digital paradise to a place that nobody will ever be able to find them. There will be no coming back, no passage between the worlds, theirs or ours. You said before, Joe, that Maeve is somebody who would be able to ne- you know, potentially yeah. kick down the door again. Dolores is the only person who knows where the sublime has gone to she's the one who changes the coordinates right. she zaps it into some place she moved so, the island josh she moved the veritable island <laughs> the virtual island and if we're ever going to see that place again i strongly think that it'll probably be through the perspective of dolores in some way shape or form yeah uh, however if dolores brought Maeve's brainball with her into the new world i'm just saying yeah then they can team up yeah they both have access so Holores is going to shoot Bernard in the face. <laughs> as you've been doing. As, as you do, I guess. She says, I'm sorry, Bernard. There is never any way for us to escape. Not us. Ford understood that. I'm sure a part of you does too. And so she shoots him in the face. We cut to this final scene of Bernard on the beach with Ford. This is pre-strand. This is how he gets to the beach as we see him in the very first episode of the season where he's like realizing I have to scramble my brains. I have to scramble my memories so that uh, nobody can figure out what I've done. Ford, you're not real. I imagined you helping me, guiding me. That was me all along. And Ford has this very sweet line about I've always loved this view from the beach. Every city, every monument, man's greatest achievements will be chased by the horizon, wherever the waves conspire, where they return. A place maybe you and I shall meet again. Wow. Maybe we meet again. And then he's gone. Yeah, that was a great scene. Like, listen, I, I, every season we're like, are we going to see Anthony Hopkins again? Well, I certainly hope so. I hope so too, but I, but it could be the end. It, it, feels like the end but i don't know it, so, it's it it's hard to say bernard did delete a couple episodes ago episodes ago he did manage to actually delete ford from his system it seems like it it seems like unless ford like uploaded himself to a different place which is not impossible <laughs> ford's yeah. gone because because yeah. bernard deleted him um maybe mave has traces of him that's not impossible i guess uh, and it's not impossible that Ford, with his backup plans, having backup plans, had backed himself up into a different plan. That's that's the thing that's both exciting and narratively dangerous about Westworld, I guess. You know, like it's it's hard to take stuff at face value on this show because the rules of mortality are so fluid. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. But I think a two-season arc was rather spectacular for him, so I'm okay with it. I hope that it's it. As much as I love him, I just I it's hard for me to understand like how they would be able to bring him back in like a twist ending of an episode that wouldn't just feel like retreading the midpoint of this past season. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. So we'll see. Holoris okay. um, is going to escape the park. She's on her way to escaping the park. Ugh. She's stopped by Stubbs. Uh, who <laughs> then seemingly reveals himself to be a host. I mean, he's, he, he's, without winking, is winking at her, and he says the words core drive. I he, guess you could say it's my core drive. I love that scene because it's like he's Robert Ford's Teddy. His fidelity is up to 11. He, you know, he's, he's loyal to a T, um, and to me, remember how I was always joking, like, how did Stubbs disappear in season one and then come back and is totally fine? Well, I think he was taken in for maintenance or adjustments. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, you know, there's there's moments from season one that make you wonder, like, what is up with Stubbs? Right. There's that there's that scene in episode three of the whole show, The Stray, where Elsie's like giving him a lot of crap. And he's like, oh, maybe it's part of my backstory. Right. It's like, oh, well, I guess maybe it is part of your backstory, you freaking host. They were joking in an elevator. I remember that. Yeah, that felt very derogatory, you freaking host. I love hosts, so. <laughs> well, and I, I love... Walk this, that back. I hope he's a host, and I think he is, because it's a nice misdirect. For two seasons, we've been looking at every person there going, are they a host? We never once thought Ashley Stubbs. Yeah, so he's a host. He's a robot, it seems, unless it's like metaphorical, I guess you could call it my core drive. Uh, but it feels like he's on the level with her. Uh, so I think we take it for what it is. I think we we assume that he is a host here. He lets Holoris through. She makes it through. She talks about how the passage wasn't easy. Not all of us made it. Some of the worst survived. We see Stubbs um, going into a tent at that. And we see that the man in black is on a cot. And he is like nursing his wounded hand. And we see that he is alive there. And we have not yet seen any elaboration on him going down into the elevator. So to me, the implication there is that the man in black, after his gun backfired and his hand halfway blewed off, blown, <laughs> blewed off, blew up. We've been here for a while. Yeah. It's almost two hours at this point. Uh, that he must have been recovered by the security team and brought to the shoreline. And that is how the main storyline for the man in black resolved. So again, you think about him being here on the shoreline. This is taking place before those scenes that you are seeing him going down the elevator. Him in the elevator, that's connected to the post credit scene. Right. Is Ashley Stubbs, in the current timeline, not the future timeline, the only host left in the park? That The thing that I'm confused about is like, where's everyone from Shogun World and the Raj and the other three parks that we right. don't know about? Like, where is what's happening with everybody there? I don't know. And so, so do we find you know, out? Do we find I, out? I guess TBD. Uh, but we know that there's a bunch of horse uh, host corpses here uh, <laughs> as as uh, Sylvester and Felix are going to be enlisted to sort the mess out. Check for critical damage. Bag the ones you think you might be able to salvage. They look at Maeve. We can feel very confident that Maeve will come back to life at some point. Uh, hell yes, Tanya Newton. Okay, let's give her an Emmy right now. Thank you. Please, yes. yes. Please, yes. So uh, we also see Holoris is escaping. She's got some brain balls in her purse. Okay. And we are 
We are wondering who those belong to. Okay, so by my count, she has Bernard's, right? Brady yep, Hall. yep, da- that, that makes sense. She has Abernathy. Yep. I think she has Williams. My question is, Are do we know that they are automatically the same pearls as the, like, like did she take pearls out of bodies? Right. Or did she take blank pearls that she is bringing back into civilization because she's going to tell Bernard that she brought him back based on memory. That's the more intriguing prospect to me. If she has these like five or however many pearls that are blank slates that through the process of her own memories, she's going to be able to bring these like five people online because that's something that we know is possible that Bernard only exists in the first place based on Dolores's memories of Arnold. Um, so if that were the case, she could be making Teddy 2.0. That's what I was thinking. Absolutely. Because she needs a Teddy. Right. Like she, she remembers Teddy vividly. So she could, even though she sent Teddy off to the sublime and that's a beautiful ending for that character, she could make a new Teddy because she has memories of him and she could, I mean, I guess like it would technically maybe not be Teddy. Right. Like maybe it's Tommy. You know, she but, like in the way that Bernard is not quite Arnold. Except that because of the end scene, which we're about to get to, you know, maybe this brings James Marsden back. Right. That's the thing. That's what's cool about the show. Also a little detrimental about the show right. that like th- there is a way for James Marsden to be back on the show, even though his consciousness has been zapped into the sublime that Dolores could leave the park, has this blank slate pearl. We know that she's able to reconstruct Bernard, so she could construct like some new Teddy that James Marsden will play in the future. Right. And I don't know the logistics of her getting to Maeve, but I feel like taking Maeve's brain ball attack would have been very strategically smart for her. I like the idea because I really want more scenes with Evan Rachel Wood and Tanya. Yes. You know, the head <laughs> I and think the heart. That, the head and the heart. That is that's, the show right there. That sounds good to me. Yeah. I love it. Whatever the case, she leaves. She has these pearls in her purse. She escapes. Great way to escape. Pose as Charlotte Hale. No one knows Charlotte is dead. By all, you know, by all logic, Charlotte is alive, except she is not, and she is under the control of Dolores, and that is exciting. So they scan her uh, neck, but because it's Charlotte Hale's skin suit, there's no red flags. It's either that or because Bernard was building her with this express purpose. Maybe he like built her to read as human. Like maybe that's right. a possibility. Right. Okay. The technology has advanced. Yeah. Like there, there must be like ways to circumnavigate the technology. Okay. Like, like if you're, if you're good enough at building these host bodies, um, that must be a thing. Okay. We'll go, with, she does, go with that. <laughs> I mean, she does scan and she, she makes it through. Right. So, um, so we go into the real world and we get this great final scene, this final pre-credit scene of Bernard being brought back online by Dolores, brings that whole opening scene of the season and the opening scene of this episode into better context as uh, she has been uh, bringing him back to life. I remembered you once before. I remembered you again. We're in our new world. Uh, Ford had completed Arnold's dream and built a place for us, a fighting chance. Uh, And it seems to be the same home that Arnold had been building in the second episode of the season back in Reunion. And I'm just going to say, I know that people think I am bananas saying that Charlotte is Charlie. There's a reason they showed in the season two finale of Westworld a picture 
in Bernard's home of him with his son. It's going to play into season three. I would bet you $100. That Charlotte is still Charlie? No, I don't know that, but Charlie's going to play her. Oh, there's going to be a reason that Charlie is pictured again. And in season three, we're going to get gosh darn closure. Please never change. Be a, a Charlie truther forever. I love I it. am. And you know what? Joanna Robinson is from Vanity Fair, who I love and admire. Um, I never listened to her podcasts or read her articles until long after we record ours so that, you know, our, we don't have any cross stream of theories. I don't want anyone to think I have any of hers because she's brilliant. Um, I, she's so anti that idea that it makes me laugh. And so like, <laughs> I would be like, this Joe thinks that Charlie is Charlotte. That Joe does not. Oh my God. I want to see the Charlie off. I know. That's what I want more than anything. But she's so wanna... smart and cerebral that she'll talk me off that ledge. I, I'm, I, you know, I love you. I think I'm, I'm team Joanna Robinson on the Charlie. Uh, oh, you know what? You and everyone else, but no, at least people are letting me run with it. And they're like, you know, like condescendingly quietly tapping me on the shoulder. Like, sure, Jan. Yeah. But when they showed a picture it. with Bernard and Charlie, I was like, yes. Never let go. Never let Never go, let Joe. Go. I, Never surrender. Who's in the house right now? Charlotte Hale, I, Charlie with dad. Boom. I have never wanted something that I don't believe in to be right more than this. I like mean, just, just I, I think it'll be a great moment of redemption for you when like Charlie is the evil mastermind behind everything. I certainly hope so. Okay, you can move on now. <laughs> no, I'm very excited to uh to to get into all of those theories as well. Uh once 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 we're out of here, then I can submerge myself in everybody else's Westworld content. That's gonna be really fun. Yes. Um so we so we have them all here. Uh, we have we have this uh, we have Dolores we've got Bernard we've got this new Charlotte Hale who we don't know is um, we don't know who's inside of that host body right now that could be anybody it could be Teddy it could be Angela it could be somebody new it could be Dad Bernathy we'll have no way of knowing until the third season but I think the one thing that we can certainly surmise is there's no reason that the world. Uh, there's no reason for the world to believe that Charlotte Hale is dead, having escaped the park. And so whoever that is, Dolores has her very own personal Charlotte Hale on the Delos board. And that can only be very, very, very good for Dolores. Absolutely. It's kind of a genius twist. It's messed up. I love it. <laughs> It's it's screwed up. It's kind of scary. I'm 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 excited to see what the potential of that is. And okay, so what is your take on her wearing the black dress, the cocktail dress? I think she is ready to like mingle with the world. I think she's ready to blend in. Yeah, okay. She's she's gonna go what was, network. What was your thought? What what did you think? No, it just threw me off because I thought, is this timeline I don't know, it threw me off because she last wore that black dress at the beginning when they were showing her, you know, showing her off. Uh showing her the real world. Remember um, when yeah. the opening scene of the, the Blade Runner episode? Yeah, maybe they could have clarified that a little bit better. But I, I do think like this is still like this is the furthest point okay. out that we are seeing in the main narrative short of the post credit scene. Um, and I think it's like a sign of what the show will look like, at least in season three, as we move into the main world, as we see like what, you know, Dolores and Bernard are going to look like as they're trying to integrate with the rest of humanity. We get this great scene here where, you know, Dolores says to Bernard, the odds aren't very good. I saw it in the library. So many paths lead to the end of us and our extinction. 
Bernard says, you're going to try to kill all of them. I don't need to read need to read a book to know your drives. You're going to try to kill all of them, and I can't let that happen. And she says, I know, and if I were a human, I would have let you die, but it's going to take both of us if we're going to survive, not as allies, not as friends. You'll try to stop me. Both of us will probably die, but our kind will have endured. And that really feels like the mission statement of where we're going to go in the immediate future of the show. And in the immediate future of the show, uh, it seems like we will be spending a good chunk of time in the real world, largely, I would assume, through Dolores and Bernard's perspectives. And that was something I interviewed Jeffrey Wright that he talked about. Uh, his excitement about season three is sort of this subversion of the idea of the humans are guests in the world of the hosts when they go to Westworld. And now at least two hosts, three hosts, depending on who is in Charlotte's new body, three hosts are about to become guests in the human world. Yeah, it's it's interesting subversion also. Like this is Ford and Arnold 2.0. And the, the the real world is their new park. Yeah, it's the new world. Westworld. Our world. Our world. Yeah. Not not as sexy sounding. Our world. No, no. We need to come up with a better name. We do. We have like Earth, a year probably. Earth world. Yeah, Earth, Earth world. Earth world. Earth world. <laughs> We're tired. Oh. We're tired. I, I have, I have a theory. Yes. Um, and, you know, Westworld is one of my favorite shows of all time. I can say that easily. One of the glaring holes in this particular show is the lack of LGBTQ characters. And, you know, sure. Evan Rachel Wood herself has lamented that as someone who's openly uh, bisexual or however she identifies. I apologize if it's not that. But um, and as someone who is gay myself, I was thinking that this also opens up a new world where if she needs a Teddy 2.0, maybe it is going to be Charlotte. It's going to be a female. And I feel like her that's the love of her life is going to be female in this next iteration. And maybe this is wish fulfillment. Um, it doesn't have to be. Evan Richard Wood's character, but I feel like there will be, especially now that they're in the quote real world, more of exposure to people who are in the real world. And I think that that needs to be, there needs to be a, a, a queer identifying character in season three. I like it. I think that that's a cool idea. And I think for it to, to happen, especially now where we where the, the world is so wide open, not just for the show moving forward, but for the Charlotte character specifically for Tessa Thompson's character uh, specifically, because we have no idea who that could who that could be mm -hmm. and how that could relate to Dolores, especially if the two of them are kind of like uh, it's the two of us against the world, yeah. you know, kind of like this ba this back to back idea. I think that that would be a really fun direction to take it in. Yeah, I mean, certainly the world is their oyster and they need to start finding it. I think that'd be a really cool kind of big sweeping romantic idea. I, I really like it. I, and I think that those two actresses would, would, would really bring um, it. I think they'd be 110% open to it as well. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Put it, put it on the wish list for sure. Oh, I think it'd be really it's fun. It's really high up there, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I and love not it. just for personal reasons. I just think, you know, as, as a viewer of television in, in 2018, that's the only glaring hole to me. Yeah, no, I, I think it I think it would be really, really nice. So I, I love that. I think that's a really cool idea. Uh, the two of them, they leave together. They've got a lot of work to do. And Bernard is left behind. There's some clothes here for him. There's the picture with Arnold and Charlie. Uh, there is this machine with which you assume Bernard's body was built. So you wonder how many people can he build? Can he build new people? They need to open a lab, man. You know, is that a way that you could get Shannon Woodward back on the show? Like, could he build an Elsie of sorts through his memories of Elsie? <gasps> He's got my hopes up. I think that there's possibilities for okay, that. Good. I mean, 
who knows? Like, I, I think that, you know, this idea that Bernard was built from somebody's memories of somebody else, there's no reason why Bernard should not be able to do the same thing. Um, so it's something, I'm, it's something I'm wondering about. Something I'm wondering Good. about. Um, but the, the proper season before the post credits, it ends with Bernard walking through a door. Okay, Christian uh, Shepherd in a church. It was a really, really wonderful way to end the season with that like nice smile on his face and everything. And the world, his oyster, he's walking out to the unknown. I think Westworld stands as a show in this very interesting place where it is also at the precipice of the unknown, where it is nothing but opportunity moving forward. And I sincerely hope that that means, um, you know, I, I think like there's so many interesting stories to tell about humanity and uh, the intersection between the flesh and blood existence, the mortal existence versus like the digital and the technological and where we're going and all of that. And I just hope that it's like a little, a, maybe a little cleaner to follow as Bernard is stepping out into the real world. I, That's just my only request as the show moves forward into season. That seems three. logical. Um, I love that it was an actual gosh darn door. Yes, <laughs> a real one. I was like, I knew they were going to be on the nose about a door. Yeah. Well, the first thing, the final thing, I was thing. Say, the first thing he's going to build is Charlie. Yes. Oh, you gotta, you, you know, he yes. will. He has to. So here we are at the end through the door. And then there is another door that opens. Once the post credits starts to roll, the man in black arriving inside of the forge and it's desolate. And there is an Emily here. Uh-huh. It is Kat- Katja Herbers, some sort of digital version of her, has shown up. Uh, and we find out that he has been here for a very long time. It's not a simulation. It's your world or what's left of it. He's in the park. He's in his park. He's like, I'm in my park. I'm in my freaking park. He doesn't know how long he's been here. She sits him down. They're in the James Delos apartment or what's left of it. She says, what were you hoping to find and to prove? He says that no system can tell me who I am, that I have an effing choice. Yet here we are again, again and again. And he asks, how many times have you tested me? And she says, it's been a long time, William, longer than we thought. I have a few questions for you. The last steps of a baseline interview to allow us to verify fidelity. And that's it. That's how it. That's how we end the season. Very similar to the riddle of the Sphinx. Do you yes. think that he, because he shot his daughter and that was the real daughter dying, right? Emily, in that episode we saw that he went crazy and they did start testing him and they put out a host to see if every time he chose to choose to shoot his daughter and he did. Yeah, that seems to be the implication. I think that he is on a loop of like his final tour of duty in the park that we saw throughout the majority of season two, that seems to be what we are seeing replaying in like the implication is that 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 is replaying with this new artificial version of the man in black over and over again to see if he does it differently. And he hasn't done it yet. He's his own worst enemy for sure. So the question is, like, who's doing this to him? Why is this happening? It does feel like we're in the far future. Lisa Joy confirms this is the far future. This is something that the show is going to be building towards, but not getting to immediately. This is uh, a later point in their plans and their agenda. So 
I don't know if that means it's like late season three or if it's season four or five or six or whatever, but it's it's not happening tomorrow. It's not happening a year and a half from now when season three is likely to return or two seasons from now or two years from now, rather. Um, so who's doing this? Because it seems like they are in some sort of like sand covered, ruined, desolate place. Are we existing in a world where hosts are reigning supreme and they are now working on creating their own new species of human? Is this like a last ditch effort at the Delos digital consciousness idea? What do you think is going on? I think it's Dolores because she wanted him, William to have a miserable life and existence and death. I like it. I think Dolores is our overlord. Um, (laughs) And uh, I don't, I don't want to believe it's, too far in the future. Like I, I, you know, I, I, I do think that hosts have uh, perpetrated and penetrated the earth to the point where they um, either blended with the humans or have overtaken in terms of leadership. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like when are we going to see any elaboration on this? I don't know. I guess it doesn't bother me. I know that bothers a lot of people, but I'm like, okay, great. I, I do think, the the one thing that I, I don't love is like, wasn't the whole season about William, you're on the search for the door. And then like, did we really get like a real resolution to that? I'm, I'm still chewing on that. Um, I mean, if Ford was responsible for the game and leading him on this, I mean, and then if Ford doesn't quote exist anymore, you know, maybe it's Bernard who's putting William through this. Um, I don't really know. But again, I'm not. I'm not caught up on it. I'm like, okay, I'm. I, I'm gonna accept it at face value for the next year and a half. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's all that I it just, is. I really, I don't like spoilers. I don't like reading about it. Um, I'll have my own, you know, jumble of speculation in the meantime. But um, I don't know. I never really thought about who was in charge. I just thought it looked very, you know, desolate, post-apocalyptic. Um, so something has gone down where maybe you know, AIs are the majority now. I think however it manifests, do not get in the way of the robot man in black. Seems like a dangerous man to cross. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Excited to see how it plays yeah, out. No, I do. I agree. I mean, okay. I know that we talk about loss a lot and I apologize for this five of you who get mad about it, but there we're at the end of the podcast. If there's still five people listening, I will be impressed. I keep thinking back to the season five opening with Jacob and the man in black, where they say they come, they fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. And then Jacob says it only ends once. Anything that happens before that is just progress. Okay. So are we in progress now for Westworld? One hopes, certainly for the sake of this uh, poor robot man in black. Seems like he's been around and around and around right, again. How does the loop end and a new one start? HBO cancels Westworld and they have to close the loop. Don't you dead with me. Do not <laughs> dead with me. My heart can't take it. But I will say this. Kim Dickens is available now. And I would I would give my right arm That's to true. Kim Dickens on Westworld. Oh my God, Robot Joni Stubbs. Oh my God. In any iteration, what if she's the head of Delos? I think that's great. I I'm love just, it. I'm I think just dream really... casting for a year and a half from now. Lisa Joyce, since I know you clearly listen to our podcast. I'm just saying. Of course. I'm just saying. Really fun. I love it. <laughs> I think that's a great yeah. idea. 
I don't know. I I think um, wherever they're going with that, I I'm I hope that we at least see like I I expect that we will see like traces of what they're building toward littered throughout season three. Uh, so you know, eyes open, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose <laughs> as we as we move into season three. As we move into the long off season, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to process here in this season two finale. Hopefully we did a decent job here going a little longer than two hours as we are talking through this episode. Uh, Joe, what a tremendous, tremendous pleasure it has been to talk about Westworld with you for the last 10 yeah, weeks. Me as well. So for those of you who don't know, I actually told Josh, I can't, I can't do season two of Westworld with you, the podcast, because I'm so busy with Cancer Gets Lost, which is the nonprofit I run. And Josh said, you literally have to show up and talk to me for two hours a week. And I went, okay, I can do that. Because Josh does do all the work on the back end of this. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. I literally just show up and talk and babble. And it's like blogging out loud and it's terrific. Um, and it has been, it has been a genuine joy, not just talking to you, but interacting with Westworld fans online, it is magic in a bottle, you guys. It has not been since Lost Drink that there has been zero toxicity uh, directed either toward me or toward us or our podcast endeavor. So I would like to re- reiterate that we are grateful for your ears and your feedback. And Josh and I will definitely be back and we will do a recap of season two before season three starts. A hundred percent, one hundred percent. And again, I'll reiterate what Joe said. You guys have been tremendous, so much fun to interact with you online. You've been very, very kind. We're all just having a good time here and doing the best <laughs> that we can, trying to process this crazy, crazy freaking show. I'll also uh, give a, a shout out to Steve Zampanti and Rob Sesternino, both of those guys who uh, who made the logistics of this podcast happen behind the scenes. Uh, huge thanks to them. Huge thanks to Leslie Goldberg at The Hollywood Reporter yes. uh, for, for co-hosting us here uh, all season long. That was super fun. Hopefully, we will get to do that again for season three. I think either way, uh, Joe and I, we will certainly make our way back to your earbuds before too, too much longer. Uh, special th- thanks to both Mike Bloom and Emily Fox, who who pitched in uh, on, on multiple weeks of the podcast when you and I were both away uh, at certain points this season. Joe, I thought they both did a great job when they filled in uh, so many people. They, they were excellent hosts taken out of cold storage and now they're in warm storage because they have been revived. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Oh, I just, uh, Emily must be overhearing <laughs> me right now. I just got the text when we're going, woo, woo. <laughs> so I will, I will take that as my clue, clue that I should probably get out of here and uh, go spend time with my wife. Uh, yes. And really, <laughs> really quick, I, I would be remiss unless I mention this, that this weekend and hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, the Cancer Gets Lost 2018 online charity auction is opening. Um, on Saturday, yes. June 30th, it's open online for fans around the world until July 11th. And we have a nice selection of Westworld items, including exclusive cast and crew gifts donated by Kilter Films, which is Lisa Joy and Jonah Nolan's company. And so we have Westworld Mariposa shot glasses with a set of Sweetwater playing cards. We have a cast crew jacket that has the Bad Robot, Delos, and Westworld logos on it. And it's awesome. It's a men's extra large. We have original custom art of Maven Dolores. And we have just a variety of things from New York Comic Con when they debuted in 2016. So all the details are on cancergetslost.org. So I had to do a little crossover promotion there. And then we always have online charity auctions supporting various cancer charities. So thanks for logging in with me. 
We are in a dark time, and if you can uh, channel some positivity towards your nerdly pursuits, it is strongly encouraged, and it will be hard to find better causes than the one that Joe uh, champions with Cancer Gets Lost. So cancergetslost.org, lots of great Westworld stuff, as Joe mentioned, and plenty of other shows as well. Uh, so there's, there's so many different ways that you can show your support through all of that. For more details on that, not only cancergetslost.org, you can follow Cancer Gets Lost on Twitter at Cancer Gets Lost. Isn't that right? That is correct. There's actually 80 shows represented in this auction. That's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> Joe herself, she is going to be uh, talking about all of that and all sorts of other shenanigans on Twitter at Joe Opinionated. That's opinionated with the J in the front of it. So please make sure to follow all of that stuff and show your support for a great cause and for all of the tireless work that Joe is doing. Joe, I hope that you and I get a chance to uh, meet in a, a Mariposa saloon of sorts at Comic-Con in a few weeks. I know that we are both going to be there in San Diego. If any of you guys who listen to this podcast are going to be around, let us know. Maybe we can uh, we can, we can can work something out. We could meet up for a host meetup. That would be great. Ah, I like it. <laughs> or a I think no host meetup. Or we'll figure no. it out. We'll figure it out. Yes. Our brain balls will we'll exchange. I'll have my brain ball call your brain ball. How oh my gosh, that? that sounds amazing. That sounds fantastic. All right. Thanks everybody for listening in all season long. We will be back at some point in the future. <laughs> uh, hopefully not terribly, terribly long from now, but it's not going to be like a month. It's going to probably be several months uh, before we're talking Westworld again. Um, but a lot, to, a lot to chew on from this finale as we start to consider the possibilities that are open for us in season three. Um, really, really just wild and crazy stuff. Very excited to see where it all goes. Thank you again, Joe. Such a blast. Thank all of you guys for listening in and we will see you in another life. Thanks you all, everybody. 